Diana Ross is Billy Holiday. My man don't love me. Treats me Diana Ross is Billie Holiday in her first motion picture, Lady Sings the Blues. Well, this is one face that won't get that hungry. I don't stand in no line for nobody. Who does she think she is? A lady with a hell of a voice. Someday you'll come along, the man I love. You affect my whole life, baby. I love you. If you go down, baby, I'd go down too. I'm not going down. Because there ain't no place down there I want to be. Lady Sings the Blues, starring Diana Ross and Billy Dee Williams. From Paramount Pictures in color, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Nighthawks at the diner, Blake. Cisco 49er. There's a rendezvous with strangers around the coffee here in the night. You know, it's a... I didn't realize that it was a very timely movie in terms of that it opens with... New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Amazing. It and then times I think perfectly. And it's technically still a Christmas movie because we'll talk about the deleted scenes got Christmas. And there's that one scene in London when they come outside the door, there's a reef on the door in the hallway. But I guess we should have saved it for next Christmas. Who would have known? We could have did this as the special movie. Welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, uh, season 2020. This is the, this is the uh, season opener of the 2020 season. Blake's been stretching his legs, working his calves out. I've been trying to get my shoulder back into play and make sure my, uh, uh, my CLD, what do you call that in the knee? I don't know, man. One of those, my joint is, is working. <laughs> working my joint out. We're getting old. We're getting old. That's uh, Jay Blake over there. And that's Dion Bai over there. And we be Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Um, Blake was here tonight, and he was helping me take the Christmas tree down. It was a good Christmas Always tree sad. season. Yeah. And um, we're just finishing putting everything away. Last go-round on the uh, Christmas carols. I know. you've oh, t- Tell me about it. Six, the 12 days of Christmas, when it ends in January the 6th, putting everything away. It's a sad, sad, sad day. Um, but I noticed that, the, look at back there, there's something. <laughs> there's an extra present What's this? behind the tree. Oh, I, I don't know what this is. Let's see. Oh, look at this. It's, it's, a, it's a Christmas present from Santa Claus. Well, actually, wait. Santa must have brought it. <laughs> the speedy delivery? Yeah, speedy, speedy <laughs> delivery. Fred McFeely Rogers, M- Mr. McFeely, brought it. And it's, a, it's, from, it's from our listener, Moose Matson, way, uh, way out in Michigan. MI is Michigan, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. Wow. Well, thank you, Moose. Let's open this thing up and uh, see what we got here. Pull out your MacGyver Swiss Army knife. Just getting the wrapping off, everybody, into the package. Let's hope it's not any kind of um, <laughs> anthrax or anything Moose! like that. Moose! <laughs> Moose, you got us again! <laughs> Damn you, Moose. Okay. Let's hope there's no trick w- tripwire connected to this <laughs> <laughs> Click. <laughs> okay, we're opening the box, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, cut the red wire. <laughs> Look at all this. What's all this smoke in the air? 
Oh, we got a present here. It says to Dion there's from presents, Moose. There's presents inside the present. Yeah. And then that's for, what does that say? Does it's that, a Russian doll of presents. Yes, it's one of those dolls. To Blake from Moose. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So it's, we're going to open these now, right? It's got some weight to it. Yeah, yours is heavy. It's rectangular. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. I would say... <laughs> what ju- are you going to do with that? <laughs> judging from the package, I would say it's a VHS tape. But then there's a little... Little bump, some texture going on in the middle. Yeah, mine's a little. Mine can I can I can. It's 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 a little rectangle, and it does have a little give and take from it. Yours looks like it's a great. I used to have a pair of boxers when I was little, or like you know those um, PJs your mom would get. That would be plaid pattern. Yeah, you're you're on your wrapping there. Mine's got some balls and joy to the world. Two moves. Let's open these guys up. Holy crap! Holy crap. This is... That is a VHS. I, was thought, I thought there was like a missing piece, but Moose was crafty with the way he... What did he do? He what did presented he presented this. Like, you go first. This is a beautiful Media Home Entertainment Incorporated video of the dark. A chilling tale of alien terror. That's we have it. Don't we have an edition of Dawn of the Dead from Media? Oh yeah, it's a it's a classic uh, Co- company. Ha- highly sought after VHS tapes from from uh, Media, but also attached to it, I thought it was like some kind of it was like this. Yeah, I thought it was some kind of like detonator. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's upside down. What is it? <laughs> when you open it up, so oh, it yeah. turns out it's one of those. Uh, uh, I don't know how, what they call them, but it's a button of. Uh, of Lopan. Oh, from uh, little little little, 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 little <laughs> trouble in Big China. <laughs> that big was my. Uh, That's the sequel. <laughs> Just a little bit of trouble <laughs> in Big, big China. China. Big China. <laughs> Back in the homeland. <laughs> <laughs> they go to uh, you know the old. Uh, oh, wait, this does something. Oh, his eyes light up. He's giving you the. Oh, perfect. It did, it did there for a minute. That's awesome. Thank you, Moose. Spuds for you, baby. Uh, he gave me an autographed uh, card from Batman uh, 1989, the second series, the yellow cards. Uh, he gave me an, an unbelievable Tracy Walter. Look at that. Bob the Goon. Nobody loves him more than you. I know. Especially that movie. That's, <laughs> J- that's Jack Napier's right-hand man. Joker's right-hand man. Deon's Bob all, the Goon. Tracy yeah. Walter. Dion's all about... Bob the Goon. And then That's he gave he me. About. Uh, uh, Bob, I love Bob the Goon. <laughs> of Tracy Walter, who's also in Steve McQueen's last movie, The Hunter. He's, he's in a, a lot bunch of stuff. Yeah. He's in a t- whole. When I was really little, I, I said this on the cast before. I used to get him mixed up with the guy who played um, the creator of the robots in, yeah. in um, Blade Runner. <coughs> yeah, the guy, guy who was on the Newhart show. Yes, who then voiced on Batman the Animated Series. They kind of made him. The toy maker guy. Yeah, the toy maker. Yeah, I used to get them really. I was really young. Then when I got older, I was like, you're stupid, Dion. <laughs> That's not him. Yeah. It's me hitting myself. <laughs> yeah, don't hit yourself. <laughs> I was so fucking stupid. Okay, Tracy Walter. I can't believe he, he sent me an autograph of Tracy Walter on a Batman that card. That is That's amazing. awesome. Aiming to Kill is the name of the card. Card 152 of the second series. Then he got me Predator 2, the novelization. The this novel. is expensive. Remember, we didn't buy that because it was cost prohibitive. Remember, we we said that it, we were complaining on the cast that we were going to start a Patreon because it was like <laughs> it, it <laughs> just, was seventy dollars just for the novelization. Yeah, that novelization is going for like seventy or seventy five dollars on um on the old eBay. 
to Dion. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not inscribed. <laughs> then he, a third present he got me is a USB, and it's got like <laughs> pictures of my. It's <laughs> <laughs> a computer virus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's some malware. He got me. That's so awesome. <laughs> I had pictures of my sister naked. So when this episode ends up drop <laughs> coming out, coming out, you know why? Because, because the hard drive, the flash drive, completely, completely corrupted the out's computer. Because of moose. <laughs> but they won't know this because they won't hear the episode. Moose, moose. In all seriousness, thank you so much. I mean, to to to, to get this together, to to compile the presents, two for you, three for me, wrap the su- suckers in such a way, and then mail them. And they're not cheap presents. I mean, this is... Uh, no, Moose this is, spent some money or, or dipped into his, his extensive library. I've seen pictures of Moose's library. Moose is insane, the stuff he's got at his house. I'm excited, because I've never seen The Dark. Who's in it? <sighs> Fuck the fine, though. Let me see. It's my eyes. My eyes are going. Let me see. It's my, a small print right there. I got there. 2040 vision. Uh, oh, I know that girl. Oh, right here. Okay, let me see. Uh, ready? We got William Devane. Okay, I was going to say that little picture looked like William Devane to me. Yeah, see? <laughs> That's why if you look at it, you listen to his gold and silver commercials, he's like, I worked hard at making my money, and I'm going to keep it. Like, damn right you did, William Devane. <laughs> damn right you did. You ever see that rolling thunder? Damn right you did. So you got William Devane. Uh, this is freaking small right now. I've got really good eyes. Uh, it's also dark, because it's... Uh, we're in the, yeah, we're in the basement. William Devane. We're by Christmas light here. <laughs> Dick Clark presents, wow, Kathy Lee Crosby, Richard uh, Jackal, and Keenan Wynn. Keenan Ivory Wayne. <laughs> Keenan Ivory Wayne is the, the, the big brother. Keenan Wynn, son of Edwin. Wow. Oh, and then they're just on the side here. I'm, I'm, I'm making all that time, and then I realize that there's actually pictures of them with their names below. On yeah, the but still, even that writing's pretty tiny. Yeah, The Dark. What year is that? Um, let's see. The Year of the I Dark. Guess, I guess we could look 1982. Wow. Anyway, classic. That's Thank awesome. you, Moose. Moose, thank you very much. Happy belated Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. This is amazing. Okay, good night, everybody. There's nothing I like more than a chilling tale of air, of alien terror. Yes. So Moose, Moose hit it out of the park on this he one. He did, he did. That's that's freaking amazing. Thank. You. I mean, come on. And, and an autograph. He sent me an autograph of Tracy. <laughs> uh, Predator 2 is also a chilling tale of alien terror. Tra- so. Tracy Walter. That is a little... <laughs> So we both got chilling tales, tales of, of alien, alien terror, terror. Uh, and we'll I'll, I'll to be t- continued. What's on this flash drive? <laughs> uh, how many gigs is this? Just enough, Dion. Just <laughs> enough. Three point two gigs. Just enough for some malware. It won't turn off. Okay, so thank you, Moose. Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. That's such a nice. I was going to say giving tribute. (laughs) (laughs) Send us more presents, (laughs) listeners of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Cobra Commander and Destro want more presents. Uh, Thank you very much. So welcome, everybody. 2020. I'm Hugh Downs, and that's Barbara Walters, and this is 2020. Excuse me. Tonight we've got a, a, a good one on the docket. It's a classic that... Um, this is I, an old Dion and Blake classic. Right yeah, here. I was going to say, isn't this one of the ones that we uh, we also uh, bonded upon? <laughs> bonded upon? <laughs> that sounds disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> we went in the room and we were as we were teenagers. Um, well, we both always had a, uh, a fondness for a this fondness movie. for this movie. So yeah. sure, we shared, we shared, we bonded upon this. Yeah, uh, <laughs> back in the day when we met, back at old nineteen ninety seven. Um, 23... I remember like it was yesterday. 23, 23 years ago, that, that's right. 
Little t- Don Mattingly number 23. So we're doing Nighthawks from 1981, um, directed by Bruce Malmuth, starring the great Sly Stallone and Billy Dee Williams. And the beautiful Lindsay Wagner. I was going to say Roger Hauer. <laughs> yes, and Lindsay Wagner's in this too. There's Amazing. A little something, a little bit of a, you know, I like to look back into these people's other, you know, their catalogs. Yeah, I was looking at that see too. See what else they did. And Bruce Malmuth did another Dion by a classic. Uh-oh. Which one? Hard to Kill. He did hard. He did. In 1990. Wow. That's, uh, well, going back to my William Sadler story when I was trying to figure out what, what I liked him in the Tales from the Crypt episode. He was like, Hard to Kill. I was like, No, not that one. <laughs> no, I didn't like that. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to take you to the blank, <laughs> bank, the blood bank. Uh, guess a good Steven. If you're if you're a Seagal fan, that's a really good. That's the second one in this catalog with Kelly LeBrock, where he he gets in the uh, coma. Mm-hmm. So that's Bruce. It's the coma episode. Yeah, and <laughs> this was almost directed by another Dion by a favorite, Gary Nelson, who did the year before, two years before, the Black Hole Disney's, which we covered on this very show. Uh, Black Hole is in my mind forever linked to Dion. Yeah. Dion's the one that introduced it to me, so of course it is. But he also... And Gary, Blake also Gary gives presence of... Yeah. side note. Yeah. More times than not when I give Dion a present. It's, it's a black fun. hole related present. And I had my own collection of black hole stuff. So last year, we just missed it, but 2019 marked the, what is that, the 40th anniversary of the black hole. So people were putting that up. So... Um, of course, I'm a lazy son of a bitch, but I, what my plan to do before December ended was to put out everything I had that was black hole related and, and mm-hmm. take a picture and then, you know, tag you in it. But that didn't come about, sadly. But yeah, I got a crap load of black hole uh, memorabilia, stuff I had, and then Blake has been steadily supplying <laughs> me with like, you know, unopened bubble trading cards or like a toy or, you know, that kind of a thing. Novelization. Or a, also the storybook, the which story is actually book. in my personal storybook yeah, that was your house kid. and then you got me one of the records because they had two records and so I, I and, and then I had a soundtrack record there's a storybook record I got a Harry Booth Ernie Borgnine I got a whole bunch of stuff I used to have the color forms when I was little but I lost them anyway that was Gary Nelson but, but Gary, he didn't end up doing this Gary Nelson also did Alan Quartermain on the yes. Lost City of Gold a canon classic yeah so um we got. we're gonna have this whole episode I think is gonna be like oh it's that guy and this guy who did that guy um Nighthawks um 1981. You and I, when we met, you you used to tell me how you love Stallone. I was like, look, Dion. I don't think you Stallone. One thing you got to know about me. I'm a big Stallone fan. <laughs> I am a big Stallone fan, and I'm not apologizing. Yeah, and it. I'm putting his Rocky poster on my wall, and I was like, all right, Blake. That's pretty cool. I'm a big Billy D. Williams fan, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I also looked around at what, uh, what everybody else was doing. Rutger Hauer was doing a lot of TV movies, too, uh, as was Billy D. Well, not, no, I'm sorry. Billy D was doing a lot of TV movies at the time. Uh, Rutger Hauer was doing a lot of international stuff. And then well, he's Sly. He's one, he's like coming off of, he's just about to make Empire Strikes Back. Billy D. Yeah. Billy's coming off of Empire Strikes Back. Is he? He might be just because they made this movie in like 79, even though it doesn't come out in 81. Yeah, and then uh, the other one comes out in 80, and they were shooting it in 79. So he either just made Empire Strikes Back or, or is just about to make Empire yeah. Strikes Back. So this is like his, his uh, you know, wraparound so, movie at the, some point. It's the golden age of Billy D. Of Billy D, <laughs> yeah. We had the the Bronze Age, which was like his earlier stuff, <laughs> like, you know, uh, Lady Sings the Blues and Mahogany. The episode of Jefferson's where uh, what's her face didn't know that it was, she thought it was a Billy Dee impersonator. Remember, mm-hmm. she's like, "You ain't Billy Dee," and then at the end, he is Billy Dee and he kisses her. Isn't he in that James Con football movie? Or is that another? Yeah, he is in the he's in uh, Brian's song. Yeah, yeah, isn't that where James Con died? That's a fabulous movie. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, I actually met the real people because that the they have this memorial they have this thing now where it's uh, maybe like a uh, you know one of those college you get an award or one of those things and I met the the children who were his his kids when he died at the, you know very nice about Brian's song and all that but yeah he's in that that was a huge TV movie when that came yeah. out uh, Billy Dee was a star I mean and then if you want to get silly in the 80s Colt 45 up until we just talking about him last week in Batman yeah Batman Returns we're doing like almost the Billy Dee back to back you know kind of I mean he wasn't actually in Batman no but we Richards. talked about yeah he was you know about him being uh, I was going to say three face two face <laughs> holy shit he's the guy from Eman. that's a sequel <laughs> yeah three face he's the one what's that guy's name it turns his face turns oh yeah yeah uh, you know that guy's name oh everyone knows they, people say that man in face yeah um, people are going to get mad too but so Nighthawks when we grew when we were growing up I remember seeing this I remember being at a, uh, I don't know why this memory sticks with me being like at my parents had like a barbecue at the house and we had family members over and my uncle was like we were watching The Untouchables. Yeah. So I was like cassette taping The Untouchables near the TV, trying to get the audio of it, and everyone's talking, you know. And then I remember my uncle was like, you know what's a good movie that doesn't use a lot of guns, doesn't have a lot of shooting? Nighthawks. Great movie. And I'd seen Nighthawks. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. But then when you watch it now, I was like, he was completely wrong. There is a lot of shooting <laughs> in it. But I guess he meant more it's not an action movie as opposed to it's more yeah, of a yeah. thriller. But I remember him like saying that Nighthawks is a great movie. And I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I know. I've seen Nighthawks. That's really good. Um, but this is a movie where I feel like it's fallen under the radar where some people, you know, it's it's part of the, the you know, this is actually another, to bore everybody, another interesting side note for myself where on the way over here, I was like you, I was looking at everyone else's stuff that they were doing at the time, just try to figure out the context of their, what was going on in their lives. Uh, it's amazing to look at like Rugger Hauer, Billy D, particularly, not so much Stallone and just see, and then you start jumping on like, oh, look who that guy is. Look what that guy is. And then you look at these, there's gazillions of movies that were like big budget, came out, has everybody, you know who everybody is, and you've never even heard of it. Wacky ass movies, or, or they look like they're adventure movies or whatever, and just sadly they're never going to get a, they're not even on DVD, you know, or these TV movies, you know, that just has this crazy poster that's like from like a German VHS tape. You know, I was looking at all this stuff, and I was like, you know, who... It's kind of like nowadays, where like stuff just comes out, you never, you never even <laughs> yeah, hear about. Well, it. that was the beauty of. Very sad that video stores went out of business. Yeah, but the, but the great thing about video stores going out of business was they're selling off their stock. Yeah, and you could go in there and buy weird ass movies that may never come out on DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. <laughs> they, got, they just they got only, a... It was like... It's like when CDs started. It took forever for like so many jazz albums to come out. Sure. Because like, it just wasn't priority. They wanted to get all the big pop and rock albums yeah. out. So you'd be like, I want Dave Brubach live at Carnegie Hall. And that eventually came out. In, but like, it was only two, on vinyl. In like the 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, you could only get it on vinyl. So there's like... You know, a lot of movies, when you worked at Tommy Cage, you used to give me uh, VHS tapes all the time of, of horror movies and stuff, like the Video Dead and great yeah. stuff like that. Um, oh, the video, is it the Video Undead? undead? Video Dead, maybe. I think yeah. it was the Video Dead. But that was scary as hell. But yeah, there's these movies that just maybe, they get one VHS release, and then then, then no one ever thinks about them Lost again. to the annals of time. Yeah, lost <laughs> to the annals of time. And it's just amazing, just the thing, and it's sad, because there's these movies that... I'm looking at all this stuff, and you look at these posters, like, that looks like a really good movie. And then you look at all this stuff, and it's just like, you know, no one's ever going to see that. I mean, you know, we're talking about it because we have an interest, or, or we went down that rabbit hole where it's like the regular person ain't ever going to go back. So just to think that there's, I mean, with anything, but there's just yeah. so much content out there that, may, you know, your best shot now 
of days without the video store, which that was even like a 50-50 shot, was, I guess, checking YouTube. Maybe it'll be on YouTube. Someone's uploaded it or something like that. Um, but when this thing, you know, especially TV movies, if, say if it was a hit and then it came and went, yeah. and then in a year or two, people are going to forget about it because there's so much other content. If that thing didn't get a VHS release, yeah. then you know what's Luckily, a lot of that, not everything, obviously, but luckily a lot of that you can find on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. A lot of weird-ass TV movies yeah. with, like, John Ritter and Carrie, and Carrie Fisher. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of, you know, just these crazy-ass movies that, like, have, you know, because that was also a very lucrative industry. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing, and I guess thank YouTube for that, even though I guess it does violate some sort of copyright law. It's just amazing to think that you can all those TV, yeah, all those TV movies and stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff here, and I feel like Nighthawks could have been like one of those kind of movies. You know, it could have fallen through the annals of time, but luckily it didn't. It was saved because I, I think it developed a cult following. Yeah, I mean, I think that it, had, it helped that it had Stallone in it. Sure. So at least it had, like, someone who, you know, had a long... Still work, you know, still working, but has a very successful career. Yeah, especially for a certain period of time. Especially when it, this was coming out, you know, this was another like he you was know coming off of Rocky and about to do Rocky too. Yeah, so you know, this was uh, this was him bef- just before he's after this he's gonna go into like First Blood. Yeah, and then he's really gonna take off more Rocky sequels, Cobra, Rocky Three. Certainly after that. <laughs> yeah, and this is the first um, cop he, movie where he plays a cop, um, but. It's not the first time he plays a cop. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but for me, even though it's 81, it, to me, it's still one of the last. Like this and Cruising is 1980, which we also covered on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I feel like those are like, to me, the last movies of the 70s, the 70s gritty cop movies. You know, everybody has a, you know, if, if you like a particular actor from the 70s, that was like a male star that was either a B or A lister. You're, you can probably go down their alley and find them playing a cop in yeah. a movie. You know, and this is Stallone's one. And um, interesting I, enough, James A. Conter, yep, Contner, who was the director of photography, shot cruising. Exactly. Yeah, and it's what what a fabulous. That's another thing I like about this movie too is how it's shot and how it looks. Um, that, I, that guy had a really good, interesting career. That he did cruising after uh, Nighthawks. He did Jaws 3D. Wow. He did the Flamingo Kid with Matt Dillon. Yep. He did the Last Dragon. Yep. And he worked with Romero on Monkey Shines. And then he went into directing television. He directed episodes of everything from Miami Vice to The Flash, which we covered the pilot we did on the, the show. Yeah, Lois we did the and pilot. Clark, The Commish, X-Files, Hercules, the uh, Kevin Sorbo show, Firefly, yep. Star Trek Enterprise, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and of course, 21 Jump Street. And of course, <laughs> let not our hearts be troubled. We got a little 21 Jump Street there. And he also, now he's the one that's teaching too right now. I believe so. Because yeah. he's he well, I think the, he's still directing television. Um, At some point he transitioned from being a director of photography into directing television. Sure. I, I mean, it's fabulous. I, I look, uh, for years when you'd get this, you can only find it on VHS. That was the other big uh, contention of mine that I never really owned it until we watched this edition because uh, you couldn't get the widescreen. It was just, you know, it came out on video and it came out f- full screen. Yeah, the uh, first DVD that I had of it was full screen. So, so was not, mine. Not in widescreen. A $5. It was a real cheap, like, $5 bin DVD at Walmart or something like that. And that, and I had that one. And then for years, it was like Charlie Varick. I was like, will you release or, or will you play it on TV? At least Charlie Varick once in a while would get an airing on Turner Classic. But if you, if you were lucky enough to find Nighthawks playing, 
it'd be like on WPIX, you know, one of the, the Channel 11 or, you know, one of these affiliates, and it would just be the regular movie. But for me, it's just so, I love how it looks, the grittiness. Even when it remastered, it kind of still has that look, which I find fabulous. I, uh, I'm going to not say stole, but I borrowed some of the, some of the, the, the situations for my book that I wrote because I just, I, you know, I, I just find some of these situations so amazing. Um, uh, fabulous movie, fabulous movie. Good night, everybody. <laughs> uh, and that's the rest of the story. <laughs> for next time, I'm D- Dole Schumacher, <laughs> and that's Frank Judge. So um, how do we dive in? Well, since we mentioned some other people, we can talk about, like, uh, Joe Spinell. David Shaber, <laughs> who wrote it. Yep. He also wrote The Warriors. Screenplay. The screenplay. And, which we uh, covered here as well, which is 79. Yeah, so he's probably just coming off. Although he might have written this before, before or during. Warriors. Yeah. And then it just didn't get made. This is a movie, you think about that, like The Warriors, this, Cruising. These are all like... Maniac. Quintessential... Like quintessential New York City movies. Yeah, and we and this also goes back for the years on the podcast, which we've lamented on other ones for the people who've listened to a lot of ours. That when we were going to do that gritty New York City, uh, we want to. Dion and I have a dream of of uh, uh, programming a film series. Yeah, of gritty of not even, it doesn't even have to be gritty, but New York's like New York City movies. Yeah. So ones that deep really throat and taboo <laughs> and ones that really. You know, where New York City is, is highlighted, yeah. the city itself. And then we were doing a little of that on the podcast, and we, you know, and we had like, you know, I guess like taxi, we never did taxi drive on the podcast yet, but we did we Maniac. Did. Weekend of Bernie. Weekend of Bernie. <laughs> we talk about it all, this about, because of Gritty New York. hour Gritty New York. And Weekend of Bernie's. Uh, we did Cruising, we said, we did Warriors, we did Maniac. What else have we done? I thought we were taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3. Yo, take, tell, taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3 is the most New York movie. Ever of all time, <laughs> I know they didn't even use actors; they just used real people. Uh, but I feel like some of this is is the same way too, because I like a lot of this. The, the parts shot, and the other thing I like about this movie, we talk about. We also did Sorcerer from nineteen seventy seven. Uh, that's one of those international movies where, like, you know, there's scenes like it's almost like the beginning of The Exorcist, Iraq, you yeah. know, and and, and uh, what is it, Georgetown. It's like uh, in Sorcerer, there's like they're in Paris and they're in this town or that town. They're in Elizabeth, New Jersey. You forget that Nighthawks does that too. There's scenes in London and then there's scenes in Paris. And then there's so in the era in the 70s, there was those espionage type movies. Like, you know, there was The Day of the Jackal or there was uh, Three Days of the Condor, all these kind of uh, Boris from Brazil or Marathon Man. And it was these international productions where you'd have like a couple days. So you have two scenes and you know, freaking uh, Istanbul or whatever. And this does it here. And I think it's great. We're talking about this, the, how it looks, the cinematography. I do feel like they do have kind of certain looks, you know. And they also uh, accentuate the grittiness of the cities. Like when they're in Paris, you see him crossing the street, Rugger Hauer. You know, it's like you could see the, mo- you know, the in the... Um, the gutter, there's you know the trash and all yeah, that kind of stuff. It's definitely not like you know, a shiny yeah, you representation don't, of a city. Yeah, it's, you don't see it's just reality. Like even when they're near, I don't think they're near Piccadilly Circus, but when they're in London and the that department store blows up, 
Like even that kind of has a look when they when he goes runs down. It just looks like you know, and especially New York. I mean, you know, it's just it, it's so amazing. You know, you have to pay for like the Joker now. That movie that just came out, Joaquin Phoenix. You had to pay to make it look like this. You know, the set design <laughs> and stuff. Or this was yeah. just they would go out and it's just they're shooting a documentary. You know, I remember I watched this movie many 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 moon ago. Many moons uh, with an old roommate, uh, John Lloyd Young. Oh. Who went on to win the Tony for Jersey Boys, and he's in that Eastwood movie playing Jersey Boys, uh, playing Frankie Valley. Yeah, um, but I watched it with him, and he was—he's an actor. And what you? And this is when you lived together, with yeah, him? in so Portchester. We lived, we lived together in Portchester, so it was like the early two thousands, and so we would sit that we would watch movies <clears throat> sometimes, and you know, he told me we're watching the scene with Billy D and. And uh, Sly as they're walking through, and then they're going to go up the they go up the the fire, fire escape, oh, the opening up, like, up to the top of the like they're building. establishing them. Yeah, yeah, but it's the you see the city. Yeah, you know? and <laughs> John's like, yeah. When I told my parents that I wanted to move to New York to be an actor, this is what they thought New York was like. <laughs> Night <laughs> you know, off. like nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. <laughs> like gritty, like gritty, uh, graffiti ridden and, sure. and trash all over the place. Nighthawks, New York. Yeah, I mean it, that's what it was. I that's mean, to everybody, part, to everybody that lived outside of New York. That's what New it York still is. Like. I mean, uh, you know, I've worked in New York now for almost twenty years. It's just scary. And my parents are always, you know, like, Jay, what are you, watch out, where are you going tonight? Just go home. Don't I'm like that. It's not because my dad worked in the New York in the eight in the mid eighties. Yeah. So he would see all that stuff. Is Times Square? I'm like, Dad, Times Square is Disneyland now, you know. And he's like, he's like, but the porn out there's like, there's no porn out there. <laughs> That's all been cleaned up, you know. But it's just, uh, it's. St- I, I feel like there's probably still people who still look at it like that, you know, sure. who haven't been here in, in how many years. Uh, but it's a beautiful, a beautiful picture because it's just amazing to just you know a lot of that all just the views like the bodegas and all that kind of a thing or them running through the. Uh, the subway that wasn't been built hadn't yeah, been built yet. That's awesome. You know what I mean? That's what 63rd Street they said. Like that's all. You know, and they had an hour just to be able to run through that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they needed more to light it, but maybe just to be able to run for the photograph in it. Uh, it's amazing. You know, I, and it's just uh, we have our friend Randy Jurgensen who we talk about, who uh, is a cop. We've done podcasts with him. He's also a consultant. He's a move. He's a director. He's an actor. Uh, we've talked about him on other podcasts. Uh, he does one. Of, he's on one of the special features for the Blu-ray, the Shout Factory. Is it Shout Factory? Shout Factory, yeah. Uh, release of this, uh, talking about this, uh, and he did some work on this movie. But it's like that. It, I'm so fascinated with that era of him, like spe- specifically being a cop, and then at this point being a police consultant for these films, and then going around and getting the permits and stuff like that was his specialty of m- being able to shoot or. Like in situations like, say, with Joe Spinell for Maniac, he'd say where they couldn't get permits. It was back in the day where you could just show up with a camera. He could walk up and be with you know, me and Blake are shooting, say, like just, you know, footage of the actor walking around Times Square. Randy could be with us and a cop shows up and Randy just flashes his badge. The cop's like, all right, you know, just hurry up and finish up. Or they would make a big deal. Randy would say situations where like, uh, I think he might have even maybe I think he used Maniac as an example with her shooting the death of the woman, the nurse in the subway bathroom sequence, yeah. where he says that they had no permits for, and what they would have to do is they'd have to set up someplace else, put a tripod up with some interns, 
you know, PA is putting a tripod up and giving them a camera that don't even work. Cops will go over them and hassle them. Meanwhile, they're on the other side getting what they need. Yeah. You know, and I feel like this is the, this entire movie is like this. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's a little bit more of a bigger budget, so I'm sure. Yeah, you don't need that gorilla. On. You know, it's all it's more on the up and up. But like French connections like that, where they a lot of that they didn't they just went and did a lot of stuff. You know, uh, and it's getting to be a turn of the tide where you know that into the eighties which we've talked about on what the weekend and Bernie's like, it becomes a, pu- a punchline or, you yeah. know, a joke of, of gritty New York. Hence like, uh, crocodile Dundee, which people might not even know what that is anymore. <laughs> That's know. a very, that would, I would put that in our New York. Yes. Yeah. Eighties, New York ghost. We've done that, ghostbusters. That, Cause crocodile Dundee is very New York. Yeah. Uh, but it's like that kind of feeling in era. And then the Nighthawks certainly, you know, uh, reeks of that. And then, you have the soundtrack, uh, Keith Emerson from Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. The late yep. Keith Emerson. Uh, how do you feel? Do you like the soundtrack? I like the soundtrack. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of his score for <clears throat> Dario Argento's Inferno. Yes. Um, and even though I knew who, you know, I knew Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and they would play some Emerson, Lake, and Palmer on classic rock radio when sure. we were growing up, uh, that was, his score for that is what really kind of made me fall in in love with Keith Emerson. Um, But yeah, he didn't do a ton of movies, but he did a couple, he did a handful of Italian horror movies that are very cool, the soundtracks, and uh, this is one of the Hollywood movies he did. And I think overall, yeah, I'm way into the score. It's a great record. Yeah. Um, When you buy the the vinyl, when you buy it on vinyl, like the the words Nighthawks are like cut, see-through, like cut out. Sure. And then we could slip the when you, when you slip like the sleeve. sleeve back in, you can see pictures from the movie like through the writing. It's pretty, it's a cool record, and it's a shame because I guess uh, this movie was severely edited, so a lot of his soundtrack hit the cutting room floor. And then I guess it got released. Did it get released on the soundtrack? The, ex- the regular extended I think versions. Some of, the, some of the cues that didn't make it into the movie are on the it, record. Are on the record, and then also just like extended versions of some of the cues because sure. the seeds were longer. And then they edited the music. I wonder, I don't know for sure. I would love to, I have to look to see if they ever put out like a, you know, awesome like CD. They did. The complete. Well, they put out something, a special edition, because his notes on the booklet. He's got liner notes. Yeah. And then they talk, and he talks about extensive scenes, like the ending that he had to write because he he had meetings and then all that stuff got cut out or the... I guess the the music editor who came in or the the sound editor came in and really stripped down and yeah. to a kind of bare bones. Um, like, I'm a huge Lalo Schifrin fan, and yeah, this yeah. to me like I, I like elements of this score. Sometimes there's so much going on in the songs, like you know when they get up to the top when you see like it looks like they're in Alphabet City, but they're supposed to be in the Bronx, and you can see you know it's Chrysler and Empire State Building, and they're walking across like there's so much like it's almost yeah. like jazz fusion, you know like yeah, <laughs> yeah this this score know. is an interesting combination of music that sounds very seventies cop show, very current, yeah, uh, you know, and then so there's some of that, and then there's a lot of like what you would expect from Emerson, which is uh synth based tones of from that era I think he's I think he's using a Fairlight uh, which is an early synthesizer uh, and then you know obviously there's a lot of songs like f- popular songs as source music but then there's also just a lot of tracks that I think that he did as source music like uh 
songs on in the radio. Yeah, in the songs background. that people are yeah. listening to because you know that's what they do. That Dirty Harry did that. Lalo and, did that on and there. And all that yeah. music that he did for those things is all really fucking awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I love when they did the when they put out the the deluxe editions of Bullet and Dirty Harry. You get the songs that are on the radio. Yeah, and then the cues because they may not be full songs. So like in Dirty Harry, when the guy's sitting in front of the bank and there's some blues song on in the, on the car, you get that track, and it's only like a minute or two. Well, you know, I think that may be a whole song. Or in, in Bullet, when they put the witness in the hotel, he turns the radio on. It's some jazz tune. You know, it's, it's, I, so I love when you get that asshole, yeah, You get yeah. the, the cues, you know. Um, and you're right. There is a lot of good. There's Stones are in this. There's uh, his cover of Chicago, which you're, you're a big fan of Chicago. Yeah, I'm a man. Which yeah. was, uh, that song... I'm a Man was actually written by Steve Winwood when Steve Winwood was in the Spencer Davis group. Yeah. But then Chicago had a, a big, uh, on their first album, they did a cover of it. Yeah. So that's another great example of, uh, and that was, I guess, in there because of Sly's <coughs> impetus, because Sly loved the Chicago cover, or the he, Chicago version of it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was uh, something like he had put it, that was used as temp music, temporary music in oh. the rough cut yeah. for that scene. And I guess because it does work, like the groove of it does work really sure. well for that scene. So I think then because they didn't want to just buy the Chicago version, Emerson just did a cover of. Or it. did he? Did he already have one at that time? I don't like, you know, think hey, so. I, I'm not positive. I mean, okay. I'm not an Emerson expert. Sure. But I think I, I always thought that he just did it for that movie. But yeah, yeah. I could yeah. be wrong. Uh, and then this sub- 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 subsequently, when this was released, they had songs that were cut out because they couldn't get the. And, and you've talked about that, particularly on the 21 Jump Street. You know, yeah. where you have, there's a situation where, and I've talked about it with the Muppet Family Christmas special, where it's like they have the rights to the song uh, for, say, TV broadcast or film broadcast, but then when these movies or shows get re-released finally, I guess they never thought about that down the road, that these were going to get special deluxe release editions. They don't have the, I guess the rights have gone off on some of these songs. They have to go back in and uh, put something else over them. So you get a situation where Brown Sugar's, taken out i guess on the dvd release the first widescreen dvd release yeah i to my recollection it's on that full screen release oh is it but oh yeah I, yeah the original stuff is on the full screen dvd release. yeah and, and then, the vhs the original vhs release and then at some point they released it on dvd and widescreen and which I, I didn't even know and i guess they replaced brown sugar and also the emerson cover of i'm a man yeah with with other stuff that happens it's weird how that happens sometimes like there's a movie that i i I recommend (laughs) it's a movie that i don't think many people have seen it's a henry winkler movie from the late 70s so he's like at the top of his fawns popularity night shift (laughs) no it's before night shift it's called heroes oh i've heard of hero then didn't we We might might have talked about it because i did watch it at some point well like dirt in the last five years while we were doing the show. What's the name the of the Burt Lancaster movie where he goes like Scotland? That we oh, in Scotland. Local that, Hero. Okay. And then Hero with Andy Garcia yeah. and du- complete Gina Davis. Okay. So. This is... Uh, uh, who's the... I feel... Uh, her, her name's escaping me. She's in um, Midnight... Not Midnight Run. <laughs> Shirley, Shirley. No, no. The one, the, the, the Burt Reynolds movie that you like that we did. Sally Fields. Sally, it's Sally, Sally Fields and Henry Winkler. Okay. And at the end of the movie, at the very end of the movie, during like the end credits, it's the song, uh, like, Carry On My Wayward Son. Carry on my wayward. And I guess sometimes when it airs on television, that's replaced. 
then there's no rhyme or uh, reason. And, for and it. like on a DVD, some of the DVD releases, that song's not on there. It's like replaced by stock music. And that I hear, well, I have a friend of mine who loves Miami Vice, and a lot of the Miami because some of that stuff was so um, yeah. current. That was like their shtick playing current music sure. in there. That was the same thing with Twenty One Jump Street. That because they were really trying. Like <clears throat> I think it was Mike Vanderbilt that said that Twenty One Jump Street seems like the like. The little brother <laughs> to Miami Vice. He's trying to it, cop the feel. Yeah, and like go it's off definitely and... got like some very modern, like cool rock and roll eighties pop sure. feel. And so they were there was you know, they put a lot of popular music in at that time. And unfortunately the rights to a lot of that music didn't hold over to home video release. Yeah, I for whatever reason and then then I said that with the Muppets thing because the Muppets had a couple songs that then when they released it here they couldn't, yeah. It was only for the broadcast. And, it, and overseas is completely different. So if you're listening to this in like Europe or England, yeah. Uh that I don't know why, but for some reason their copyright laws are different. They have no problem. But here it's very yeah, I don't particular. Give a shit over there. Yeah. Like the German box set of 21 Jump Street has the music. Yeah, it has all the originals. And then for years in the early 2000s, uh, that was, I didn't do it so much, but you were doing that. You were you had a regionalist D, uh, DVD player, and you were getting the releases of stuff uh, that were like Region 2 and stuff in Europe because they had like, remember the Predator, legendary, great documentaries and special features yeah, yeah. or extended cuts or deleted scenes and stuff that just wasn't available here yeah. and you think stuff like that there's an audience crap why don't you just put everything out that could be put out no matter what but for some reason you know people in region 2 they're like we know region 3 or 4 we're like we know what we want and we will do it you know oh yeah there used to be Carpenter movies like They Live had yeah. a commentary with Carpenter and Roddy Piper but at that time the release the American release didn't have that commentary now the releases do have that commentary, but the DVD release of They Live didn't have it. That's crazy. Had, you, you had to get the German, yeah, the edition <laughs> DVD. And then, but then you'd have to then your your ass would get it, and you realize you don't even have a player. <laughs> yeah, you know, so you'd have to get the regionalist player, which is actually kind of commonplace now, right? The uh, the a regionalist player. Yeah, I think more people jumped on that train, for sure. I mean, I don't know if more players just are naturally, but it seems like region is somewhat less of a thing now than it was back in the day. So this Blu-ray release restores all that. So that's cool that usually Blake and I usually go get the old VHS, you know, and um, watch that son of a bitch. But <laughs> we figured to, to, to try to get the original intended viewing in the theater, we wanted to get have the widescreen with the original music and, hell, they remastered the son of a gun. Although the, it was DTS 2.0, so it was kind of I wasn't getting some crazy sound. My blue light wasn't on on my on my receiver to indicate some, you know. Oh, it was probably mono back in the day. The exactly, but usually they don't ever, you know. Usually they they they'll they'll remaster the crap out of the soundtrack, you know, for anything. So it it felt like it was it was the DTS mono, which is fine. Yeah, you know. So uh, and this is something that we Blake and I. Um, it became our running gag when we were in college that um, college college <laughs> that we were gonna. Uh, start going to Halloween parties and Blake was going to dress up as Sly Stallone from this and then I was going to be Billy D with my Superman shirt and not, grow my mustache. Not in blackface. Not in blackface, no. Billy D's he he's light-skinned enough where I don't have to do blackface. <laughs> but Dion's going to put, put 
comb his hair back, do the mustache. I was going to relax my may, hair. Maybe even do a little bit of uh, the bandage on the face yeah, to little, really bring it home. And then get the, the baseball t-shirt. hat, Superman t-shirt, get my shotgun and yell at people. <laughs> motherfucker! Yeah, fuck a motherfucker! Motherfucker! <laughs> um, and my hair is wavy enough where it's, uh, if I try to relax it, it looks like an African-American's hair relaxed because it's straight and it's get all puffy. So I was going to just throw it back so it hurts. Pull it. Yeah. Put the put the hair put the hat down. And then Blake was gonna because back in the day we used to wear three quarter length jackets. You had a you had a black leather three quarter length. I mm-hmm. had I didn't have a three quarter length. That mine was my dad's, so it only went down to like my butt. But we were doing the Carlito Bergante kind of look, the Rocky Balboa kind of look. Uh, yeah. For years, for for about two years there, you were Rocky Balboa walking around <laughs> with with you had a hat. Well, your dad had one of those tan ones. I think I was going to borrow your dad's. Oh, my dad had three, like and he tan leather. He one. had a dark brown one, which he threw out, which I'm so mad about. It's a really dark brown. Then he had like a camel color, like a tan one, that one, which yeah. he still has. And then he has the black. He has two. He has his old one. Then he had one that never fit him that he gave to me, and um, he had those for years, and. Um, uh, I haven't worn I it, it it was in my closet rotting and I felt bad because I hadn't worn it in 20 years so I went and got it specially done at a leather place so that I can keep it because it was starting to crack you know yeah. and like the edges around the the, the the cuffs and stuff so they, they they did something well they didn't do anything but they just cleaned it up and then I, I buttoned it up and I put it it's now like in a uh, what do you call that like a suit jacket thing you know so uh, we were we were dressing all like that yeah, so I was gonna get the yellow tinted glasses yep and then you were gonna get the beret that you could put through your thing and, <laughs> and then my hair out yeah and you already had the beard that looked like that and Blake kind of has the Italian stallion look to him so that was why he uh, he looked like Sly back then in that era so we were gonna go to uh, you know Halloween parties uh, costume parties dressed as this team uh, and then we, we would joke to see how many people can actually figure out who we were because, you know, some people even back pretty then. Obscure. It's a pretty obscure reference. Yeah, you know, it's not like we're coming as like Toto and freaking uh, Dorothy. And then um, we were also going to do uh, Smoking the Bandit. I was going to say, you know, Blake can play Burt. I play Jerry Reed. I get the vest. Blake would get the jacket and we rent a Trans Am. And I'd rent a, uh, a freaking Freightliner or whatever it was, a tractor trailer truck. Uh, so that was the joke so for, for that reason years. alone. Nighthawks has always been a, a very important movie to us. Yeah. So uh, this comes out when, where Sly just, he did Rocky 76. He did Paradise Alley, right? He had just done Paradise, Pal- yeah, Paradise which Alley. Was his directorial debut. He had just, he had done Fist already. He, yeah. And that was another reason why they were saying at first that they were going to call this movie uh, Attack. And uh, Attack was going to stand for Anti-Terrorist Action Command. And that is end up ends up with still on the helicopter at the end, and it's still on like on his, his, hat. his hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I well, guess it's funny because it's one of those things where if when you research stuff online, you get inevitably there's mistakes because you can find, you know, like trivial things that are like original titles were attack, but they spell it like the word attack. Yeah, a t t a c k. Yeah. Where it was it was going to be attack, but it was going to be A T A C. Yeah, it was going to be like the initials A T A C. Yeah, which are still on the copter and stuff. And then they 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 cite because Fist came out and Fist had initials. They were like, ah, fuck it, we'll call it something else. <laughs> we can't have Stallone so, go two national movie. Yeah, that's just that's just poppycock. So they had other running titles at the time that they were talking about doing it, and uh, they were trying to f- settle on something, but um, they end up calling it Nighthawks and. Uh, Billy D, I think, is great in it. 
uh, Roger Howard. It's his first uh, American movie. He's been doing other. He's done other English speaking stuff in like Europe and stuff. I think he's like in a Sidney Poitier movie with maybe Michael Caine uh, prior to this. Um, but he ends up uh, doing this, and he he uh, said no to Sphinx. That's another movie. No one's. It came and went. No one's. And then he was replaced in Sphinx the, uh, or. Who the hell? I forget. I looked that up to see who the lead was in that movie, and it's some Egyptian thing with uh, oh crap, I forget who the lead was. But you're like, oh my, it's like like a Michael York, you know. And it's another movie that came and went. That evidently was a huge, big budget, you know, kind of an Egyptian. Yeah, thing. Yeah, it's funny because the trivia that you find online seems to make a big point as to like he turned down Sphinx, which was going to be more money. That came out in '81. Bigger budget. He was going to get paid more, uh, more bigger salary, twice his salary for this. But he thought, I guess, uh, and it was also a big name director, Franklin J. Schaffner, and Schaffner, and Howard wanted to do, which I think, I mean, I think in the long run it was a smart, the time. It was a smart choice because I looked up uh, Sphinx. I'd never heard of it, and I looked at the poster. I was like, oh, holy crap! It's what the hell is this? You know. And if there's people out there who know Sphinx, God bless them. <laughs> I'm sure it's got to be somebody's favorite movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point of this podcast. So go, go check out 1981 Sphinx with, uh, I forget, there's a, f- a real famous lead in it too. Maybe we'll do it on the show later in the year. Yeah. We can f- find a copy. <laughs> exactly. Although on you, probably on YouTube. <laughs> Another working title for this movie was just called Hawks. But if you get the name, I mean, I've always known Nighthawk is like people who used to do the late shift. And... They specify in this it's for cops, but I've always just heard, you know, like Nighthawks at the diner. It's people who just, you know, you're, you're, if you're a cabbie or a waitress working late, you're a Nighthawk. You're up late. Yeah. You know, it's just people doing, like, just the graveyard shift. You're a well, Nighthawk. There's the painting. You know, and there's the painting, which is one of the posters. Isn't the German poster? Or there's, there's some, I think it's some poster where it's Stallone standing there holding the gun, like, you know, and it's just whole, and he's small, and then over him there's a hawk. <laughs> coming down, you know, and it's nighttime, you know, it's very, it's very, um, you know, um, what do you call it, you know, tran- translucent or, 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 or transparent or what it's thing. Yeah. But, uh, and, you know, and, and they're playing uh, undercover crime units, right, in this? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the implication. The problem, you know, part, <laughs> one of the problems with this movie is that apparently uh it, so much stuff got cut out of this movie that, like, any kind of, um, like, ton, like exposition or motivation for Rudger Hauer, you know, just there's a lot of stuff. Character development. Yeah, character development. Apparently just, like, the original cut were, allegedly was, like, two and a half hours long, but then... Universal Studios got cold feet. And, and they the, had the final cut approval. Yeah. And then you have... Because Gary Nelson was only on the movie for like a week. Yeah, and I guess they shot that. It sounds like they shot the stuff when he was doing that mugger at the beginning, maybe. Or no, they shot the last scene first. That was Rutger Hauer's first scene. Oh, was the was that okay? Was his death scene apparently? Yeah, but I don't know. You know, they might have shot other stuff. Yeah, without Rutger Hauer before that. Um, and but it just seems like it's unfortunate because when you hear about the kinds of stuff that got cut out. And it's a, that you know, it just seems like it would it could have been a much more interesting movie. With that said, I like the, like I love this movie. So, but it just seems like I would love to see like more of a background 
scenes with Lindsay Wagner and Stallone. And I <laughs> guess know? they were more more development of that relationship. And that cuz that's your that's your joint right there. Yeah, I love I love the romance, the tragedy of these two people that are in love and but they can't be together because of his job or whatever the reasons are. You know, we don't have those scenes. We can only have we only have one scene. Yeah. He's really only in like in like two scenes in this movie. Yeah, and we have a lot of lobby cards that are left over of the scenes that they cut out. Uh, and so my point is just that um, it's hard to, you know, there's just not a. It's a it's it's not a very deep movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because a lot of that stuff got cut out. With it, with that said, like I said, it's great. I, I mean, I love it, and I, I feel like if you're a fan of it, these kind of movies, like I am, you could you could see the you you, you yourself can create the, yeah. the depth that you want and by un- those scenes. And it's unfortunate that this movie is not po- popular enough to warrant somebody spending money to go and try to find those elements and make like a definitive director's cut. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to wait till the end and advocate for. I was going to I was going to hope that someday anybody listening to this can you hear it here, you know, we need a a director's cut of Nighthawk. Someone needs to go find those on the, you know, there must be, you know, work prints or or rough cuts of this. Um, I mean, if I like, you know, if I won the lottery and I got like 400 million dollars, I will commission. <laughs> yeah, you know. I will personally for my own benefit, for my own joy. Hey, how about this, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> if Blake and Dion ever make it, like I mean, you know, like really make it that everyone knows your parents know our names, we're going to we're going to push to do a special Nighthawks uh uncut release because this like you you said it's two and a half hours long. They started off the writers wrote this with the idea there was a a very famous terrorist called Carlos the Jackal. He was a terrorist in South America and all around. In real life. In real life. Uh, I think that movie, The Day of the Jackal, I might be wrong, uh, but I think that's about him, I think. And um, I don't know. It's because, you know, we can only do so much research. Yeah. I did try to read about him, and he might be, he might actually be named the Jackal because of the book that that's based on. Oh, okay. The day of the death. So, the day so of the it's either ja- yeah. it's one of those things. I don't know which is first. That yeah. that's the pro- yeah I know because I I saw that movie years ago, and I forget for the most part what that's about, and not the movie The Jackal with uh, Bruce Willis. That's also <laughs> that's a whole, that's Richard Gear. That's a whole other thing. So there was this international terrorist, and terrorism, as we've talked about in other podcasts, uh, was very big, especially in New York City with stuff. And you know when we bring Randy Jurgensen into it. Randy also talks about the in his interviews that we did with him on this site Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. You can go listen to. He talks about being a cop. About uh, they were very worried in the seventies with the FALN, uh, which is a port was a Puerto Rican uh, revolution paramilitary group. There was the Weather Underground. There was the Black Panthers, but not so much the Black Panthers, but more the BLA, which is the Black Liberation Army. That that this could actually happen in New York. So. Or around in the world, and it was happening. Remember the Olympics, and and was that maybe seventy two? There, in, in I think it was the Israelis, were, you know. And there's a great documentary on that. I think called One Day in September. Um, so this was very prevalent. So what the the writers do is they write uh, a really crazy script where it's about a guy kind of who's like a Carlos the Jackal kind of a character, South American, and he comes to New York and he meets. Uh, young people who were all ex-military who were trained, you know, in our army and maybe went to Nam and came back. And then they were uh, part of the FALN 
the Puerto Rican uh, paramilitary group that was doing bombings and stuff. And they hook up. They're very young, idealistic. They look up to as an idol or I- idealistically to this one person. And then they start wreaking havoc all over the, 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 the city. But for some reason, I guess they were actually worried yeah. that they may offend the real-life terrorist. And then they were worried that maybe if, this, if they did that, and they had screenings of it that there could be some sort of repercussion. Yeah, that they'd play at bobs in theaters and stuff. Yeah, so they were so they so for fear of of in any way kind of disrespecting the actual terrorist who was in South America, they changed him to Aryan, and they they rejiggered the script and kind of just made him the lo- the lone person doing stuff. They took throughout like the whole uh, domestic terrorism uh, local group out, yeah. and they had. Uh, and the reason I bring all that Randy Jerkinson up is is because I guess when Blake was saying about the the, the studio getting cold feet, they I guess they thought some of it was preposterous that this couldn't happen. Where the studio was like, "This is so far fetched, you know, no one will believe that someone can actually do this," which is now poppycock because of course we've had nine eleven. But it's interesting the talks you hear Randy in our interviews. He talks about those very top secret or very under the weather that he had to go into when he was a cop. Because he had a military background, CIA and FBI came to him and they had these special groups that were being taught on the DL if something were to happen, yeah. how to take the city back because they were very worried one of these, the city, the, the, the bureaucrats and the city officials and the police were worried that if this were to happen, this is how we, we combat it. But then and then it's funny that I guess that wasn't public enough till now because the studios 10 years later or like yeah. this this could never happen well, you know reportedly yeah you know it's, it's hard to know when you're going through this when you're researching online like what's what's fact and what's i don't know speculation yeah so what's just some guy dicking off on wikipedia because we also heard that this was also being shopped around as a which the, sounds viable but then the, the original intention for the script the idea spawned from uh, yeah a, a french connection three yeah. Uh, you have French Connection 2 where it's Gene Hackman goes, I think it's he goes to Paris. And I think John Frankenheimer directs um, French Connection 2. I don't think Roy Scheider's in French Connection 2. And then uh, he gets hooked to heroin. And, and it's a very long, convoluted story. And some people love it. I watched the second one. I didn't really care for the John. Maybe I have to rewatch it, the John Frankenheimer one. And there's a whole scene of them. He asked it because the, I think the, the dope guys kidnap Popeye Doyle. And they hook him on heroin, so then there's a whole scene where he has to go cold turkey, which is horrifying. So I guess the the, the rumor was that by the time that was mid seventies, because the first one's seventy one, I think, or seventy. So uh, Gene Hackman was like, ah, I'm not interested in coming back and doing a third movie. But, uh, the, but his sidekick allegedly, yeah, uh, was planned to be Richard Pryor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you're right. Yeah, in French Connection, in this, in this in, movie, in this French Connection, you'd have, a, yeah, you'd have a wise cracking cop, which also sounds believable in 1977 or 1978, because Pryor was doing stuff like that at the time. Uh, he had not yet turned and started doing those, like you know, the Toy or Superman Three or Pryor's Place, the TV show he had for the children's show he had on Saturday mornings for a bit. Yeah, uh, so that sounds completely viable because this kind, that kind of that idea morphs into kind of getting. The Billy D who's straight, he's not cracking jokes. He's not like um, uh, Ernie Hudson doing Eddie Murphy jokes in Ghostbusters. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, but it's also the reason why we say this is because 
then if you watch the interview with the guy who wrote the script on the Shout Factory Blu-ray... When we're talking specifically right now about the stuff we just brought up about uh, French Connection 3. Like, there's no mention of that. Uh, air quotes. You yeah. Know, he talks about the Jackal stuff that Dion was just talking about and the what, his, origi- what his, res- his original intentions for the script were and that it was really about, like, domestic terrorism and all this stuff, but there's no mention of French Connection 3. Yeah. So it, it leads you to believe that th- it's a pretty good... There's a pretty good chance that this French Connection 3 is maybe some other story... And, and that something's got the lines got crossed somehow that it got attributed to Nighthawks. Yeah, because it that was something that they're saying the screenwriter David Shapper uh, he wrote it for 20th Century Fox or something like that. But then Universal got the rights and Universal rejiggered the story to have it be what we're doing now. Uh, so then you get Stallone on board, and the reason we we, we set all that up is because we getting back to Blake's original thing about this being two and a half hours so you have this idea which is uh, you know it's a it's an idea i love uh, as cliched as it is but you see that with it's the cop trying to deal with the day and then then coming home and having to deal with the his his family life you see that in you know dirty harry bullet any other cop movie you can think of and here it's another example where it's like um in this movie and it's great if you watch the new special features uh when they interview Lindsay wagner about it She's saying there was a whole uh, sub subplot of the two of them where they've split. They're still married. Uh, they both still love each other. It's not like one's cheated on the other or whatever. But the problem is they just can't make the relationship work because of the jobs or, or what he does. And he doesn't want to. He doesn't. He loves her, but he can't stop doing. You know, it's the he's the, it's the conflict of the job versus home life, which I th- I find yeah. profoundly fascinating. And I think he a lot can't of people change who he is. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. You don't need to be a cop to have that situation. A lot of people could be in situations right now who are listening to this podcast. You love somebody, but yeah, because there's also know, there's just stuff hinted at in the one scene that they do have together on like that fire. Scene. Yeah, because there's a lot of depth there. She's like, I can't change, and she's like, Well, I did. Yeah, kind of like so. You like yeah, I adapted to you almost. So there's you know clearly there's this there's history <laughs> that, that I w- that you'd love to know more about. Yeah, so it's sad because on the face of it, there's not a lot going on in that scene. But then because we only have that scene really of any exposition, there's so much in that scene, the yeah. touching and all that. And when it's he touches also her like face. when you read the quotes by Stallone talking about those scenes, he says it's a shame because she was so good in those scenes. Yeah. But then when you hear her talk about it, she's like, it's a shame because he was so good. In yeah, those because scenes. there's, if you look, if you go do some uh, research, there's some lobby cards, stills that the still photographer took that day. And this is the reason why we say this is kind of a Christmas movie because there's scenes where they're like maybe Lindsay Wagner's having a party at her apartment and there's a Christmas tree up in the background because this is takes place just after Christmas and he's there so maybe he's attending the party or whatever and they ha- they're having conversations about the relationship and there's supposedly a scene that was on the cutting room floor which I think would be incredible is him breaking down with her trying to get her back Yeah. so it's I love that juxtaposition of the hard ass cop who's dealing with such hardness on the street people getting killed and all but then you know he's, he's please I need you for the emotional support because I can't do this alone um, the interesting idea, listening to the writer also talking about Stallone's backstory, which now is vague, is that you know he was a guy who went to Nam. He had a whole bunch of kills in Nam. Uh, he was very proficient as a killer. Gets out of whatever. What did they say? He was airborne. I forget what he, they said he was. Yeah, I mean, he was a all, ranger. Like this stuff is kind of just mentioned. Yeah, but passing. it's not really. It's not really. You know, we're just saying it as the backstory. Uh, he gets out of Nam, becomes a cop. 
and then when he, because of his experience in Nam, he now is hesitant as a police officer to use his firearm in those kind of situations because he values life so much. And and then you have his partner Billy D or whoever it was going to be that rhymed, yeah. and he's saying to him, "Very powerful scene." And that's another thing too. It's like that's old Billy D's only real scene. You know, they they yeah. cut a lot of Billy D out. And the point was. He has a partner that's saying, look, in these situations, you have to be able to, you know, the, the roles have changed. He's like, you have to be able to take that shot when you need to. And then that makes it even more poignant when there's the scene of him not taking the shot. On the subway. On the yeah, subway platform. when he has the hostage and then Billy D gets injured. And then Billy D's a real dick like, you should have took the fucking shot. You should have shot, the fucking shot the <laughs> I still have this fucking, this, I wouldn't have the scar. And then at the end of the movie, what they also cut out, we'll get to the gore is it's like he then uses the gun to completely take Rugger Howard's character apart by killing him at the end. And then, honorable mention, Dick Smith did all the makeup effects, which is really, you don't see a lot in this movie, but still it's enough to, when Billy D's bleeding, and they're like, Billy D, don't cover your face because we want to see the blood gushing. He's, just, he's like, ah! He's holding <laughs> it like this, and his hand's shaking like a six inches away from his face. You see the blood just gorging out. Yeah. It's because it's all Dick Smith. Yeah. Um, well, also, Rugger Howard's makeup... Oh, at the beginning, as pre, a heavier pre-plastic uh, surgery is really great. Yeah, you'd, you're like, whoa, is he gained weight? Or is he, you know, because they have a beard and his cheeks are a little more fuller uh, f- to get the change of when he goes to the plastic surgeon, which is also another deleted scene where there's he goes with the female character he's with, uh, and they're, they're showing pictures of what he wants, and then there's the continuation that we do see of them in the plastic surgeon's office. Um, that's a real... It's like you look at the Joker, like the you know, l- let's see how we did. That guy, the doctor who fixes the Joker's face, or this guy, it's like, you know, there, is there any honor? It's like, you know the Joker killed, because he says, as my plastic surgeon always said, when you got to go go with a smile. And then they say in this movie, like, there was a, an underground plastic surgeon who died, and it looked like it was the work of the jackal, you know, <laughs> the well, Wolfgore. I, I feel like if you're going to do underground plastic surgery... Um, you're already getting in. You, yeah, you know, you're I getting feel into like it. you know the risks. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, it's like that discussion in Clark's about building the Death Star. Oh yeah, the uh, private uh, contractors. Indep- independent contractor. <laughs> yeah, independent they, they know what they were getting into. <laughs> they knew true. there was risk going into it. If you're going to choose the life, if you're going to choose a life of underground plastic surgery, yeah, you got to imagine that you're dealing with people. Jeremy Piven in uh, Heat. Remember, <laughs> he's like, take your shirt off. My my, my, my take your shirt off. Okay, <laughs> what is he? He's like, a, I think he's a dentist or a veterinarian. Uh, so I feel bad because these guys are always get killed, you know. Or so um, getting back on track though. But so there was an extensive amount of of deleted scenes that they actually shot uh, all this stuff with Lindsay Wagner. She said she's coming off Bionic Woman. Yeah. She was really hot. She was going to come to New York because she said she wanted to... Be a singer. She wanted to... She, she said originally before she got into acting, she wanted to sing. And she was singing backup in some band. And she was being sing backup, but then the acting thing kind of took off. And so she had this plan in a nutshell. She had this plan to like post Bionic Woman to come to New York, re- like do a bunch of demos... And have as a, f- a f- have fake a, name. have a manager send them out to like record labels and stuff without with a fake name, so they didn't know it was Lindsay Wagner, and that way, mm-hmm. and that way, if they liked it, they could say, "Well, it's also Lindsay Wagner." Done. So she's being, and then, and then if they don't like it, nobody knows it was her. So who cares? Yeah, that's that's actually uh, quite brilliant. But they, but on the other side of it, they want to say, "Yeah, see, this is Lindsay Wagner doing it." Yeah, and it's like you know, she wanted to be 
to be measured on her talent. Yeah, she didn't want to be like the face. Bionic Woman doing an album. Yeah. Well, sure, we don't care what she sounds like. We'll just release an album with her. She wanted to be a real singer, so she wanted to... So whoever was going to release a record or manage her or whatever, whatever she was going for, she wanted that person to like them for her talent, like her for her talent. But then Nighthawks came up and that derailed yeah. that idea. <laughs> because she, she got here and she took this, she took another acting part. It's Nighthawks and it's, you know, you're against Billy D. you're with uh, Sly, so she takes it. And I so, always liked Lizzie Wagner. I did too. She's great on Bionic Woman. I, you know, for me. <laughs> you're like, I'd do her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> to be respectful. I'm not saying I wouldn't, <laughs> yeah. but that's what I was going to say. You know, Apparently, my brother loved the show Six Million Dollar Man when he was little. Because that's his age group. I always, that's why I always emphasize, prior to Star Wars, it was, it was Emergency, which is just turning 50 years old, or 40, 50, and it was, um, that was the biggest thing ever. But when I was, when we were kids... yeah. Like that wasn't on in rerun. For no, me. I missed. I missed. For I the knew most what part. it was. Yeah, but I never saw. I it wasn't on. But in Philadelphia, when I was growing up, Bionic Woman was on mm. in reruns in the afternoons, and so I would watch Bionic Woman. I remember uh, Six Million Dollar Man being on, but it wasn't on enough for me to watch it consistently. But I remember it being on and me being fascinated, and I knew that there was a Bionic Woman, but that wasn't on. And then they did a, in the early they 90s, got married. late 80s or early 90s, they did a Sunday t- television movie yeah, where they got married. And then you, you watch some of that now. With We talked about that, Lee Majors. I mean, it's a great show, but it's slow. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's not as bad as, I mean, I, I, I don't mean but to because, be. But because I never really watched Six Million Dollar Man, I think maybe initially I didn't even know that it was a spinoff. Oh, yeah, Bionic sure. Woman. But the the story of Bionic Woman is tragic in that she's Steve Austin's, like, fiance. Yeah. And, and that, she's in the first... I forget, See, I'm not as up in the the noir, but people who know, she's, like, in... They, they have her, her own pilot. He's in it. Yeah, yeah. They marry it pretty well, you know. Yeah, and then she has some kind of skydiving accident. Gosh. And Lee Majors is like... You're fucking you have to save her. Yeah. No, we won't. He's like, I want you to spend five million right now. <laughs> and so they they make her bionic because of him. Yeah. But then she's got amnesia. So she doesn't remember Steve Austin. Oh my god. That's that that's my that's that's what I've been told in the story. <laughs> I just watched over Which Christmas time. Which is fucking time. tragic. I just watched over Christmas time, uh mid season, season five, six. The Christmas episode of Bionic, a uh, six million dollar man, because it was on. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh wow, that's and it was it was just a it was an absurd story, but it was great. Anyway, if that's not the plot to Bionic <laughs> Woman, it should have been. It's, yeah, it should have. <laughs> but he's got a, it's the mustache years. He's got a mustache. But for me, I always thought that it would be like he's not the if he's a, got a mustache, it's like it's evil. The, it's the yeah. evil six million yeah. man. But it wasn't. I was like, oh, it's okay. the negative six million. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I, it's fascinating those shows. So she's coming off Bionic Woman. That was you know it's like Police Story, uh, Charlie's Angels, those huge shows that were huge back then. And she jumps right into this, and she had a substantial role. And I think it's sad because they said Universal wanted to keep it action. They wanted to keep it tight, make it more of an action movie. They weren't really, they didn't really care so much about. They didn't get it, nor did they care about the idea of adding. They didn't think it was needed. And I guess to give them their credit. They are kind of right. You don't need that stuff because, hence, we have this movie here here that doesn't have any of it. But it would have been so much better yeah, to have it. No, I think it works without yeah. it. But it's just it's it's just but, such a shame yeah. that you had that. It's not like they were only talking about this. 
and they didn't do it. They I mean they shot everything. They have footage of it all, and that's why fifty years on, you know, Stallone and Wagner, like I remember a scene where we were, and they were, you know, it's like they. I don't think they've even seen the footage. Yeah, yeah. The ending. Stallone may have. Yeah, but, sure. Because he was really active. Yeah, in, in and, and the whole filmmaking process. And then the other thing is that Stallone at the time uh, was was he just directed Paradise Alley. He was doing his own thing. Uh, he was writing. He just wrote Rocky. He's probably writing Rambo he's right now. Ra- he's about to direct Rocky 2. And, and then they said in post-production, Ra- Raging Bull was coming out, and that's why he never he wasn't really bothered about the post-production so much in this, because he was kind of... I thought he might have done Rock, Rocky 2 by then. No, maybe these, maybe because they shot it so early. Yeah. And it didn't get released to 81. So he was worried about... He was upset that maybe the fanfare like, of Raging Bull, you know, the boxing movie getting so much... Yeah. They call that the best movie of the 80s or whatever. So he was... He had his head in getting Rocky II done to come out, uh, competing the against another boxing Stallone movie. Stallone was... He kind of checked out by that point. Was very, but was very active. Like, I think if Stallone could have directed Nighthawks, he probably would have sure. wanted to. And, and there's also there's stories about how he did direct a scene, but he really just wanted... Here's so the story goes. Gary Nelson is directing Nighthawks. Which is the guy we talked about, the director from The Black Hole. He comes aboard... And, and apparently him and Stallone just did not get along. Uh, yeah, he, he had, to, and he's, a, Gary Nelson goes back, he does a, he's done a lot of episodic TV prior to that. He he was an established director, he did movies, he did a couple Disney movies, he think he did Freaky Friday, he did maybe Escape from Witch Mountain or Return of Witch Mountain. Yeah. That's what got him he the black Freaky hole Friday. role. Friday, I'm not He did one of the, the one, but. one of those, and then so when he comes aboard on this, he has like a vision, and then Stallone being. And I think he's just like, I think he just probably, my guess is they probably just wanted Stallone to be the star of the movie. But at that point, Stallone had, Stallone had directed, he had written, you know, he's obviously he's going to go on to a, more a, a better career as a director than I think more people than I think most people reckon, like realize. Yeah. So I think, and he also has an idea of what he wa- what he wants. I mean, he ends up s- supposedly supposedly <laughs> uh, rewriting the script, yeah. which he does for most of his movies. Um, in this case, they say that he rewrites it to basically up his character and lower Rugger Hauer's character. Yeah, so supposedly Rugger Hauer had a bigger part as well, where it was more there was more depth there. To, I guess either make him more a psychopath or make him a little more. It seemed like there was like maybe it was more from his the movie was more from his point of view possibly yeah and then because you can understand that because you're following him from these different locations and, and then, then he comes Stal- to New York and then Stallone was like the supporting character yeah. trying to stop him but then Stallone allegedly rewrote the script so that it's more about Stallone and Rudger Hauer's more like the supporting character so maybe that's where you get all those Lindsay Wagner scenes yeah coming in uh, so uh, and then there's so, so two, my point is that I think. There was probably Stallone wanted to be more active in the creation of the movie, and Gary Nelson was like, "No, I'm the director." Yeah, and there, apparently there was a lot of non-communication between the two, and I guess because um, Stallone was the star of the movie and one of the biggest stars in the world at that point, because of the success of Rocky, uh, Gary Nelson got got canned, and then they brought in uh, Bruce Melmoth, who was who knew John Avildsen who had directed Rocky, John Allison directed Rocky, and then they co-directed some, like, skit comedy movie. Like that an, was the only thing he had done. Like an anthology point. comedy movie. So the, the, this new director they brought in. Yeah, so the thought is that possibly now, looking back on it, that they brought in Bruce Malmuth to direct, Stallone's manager brought in Bruce Malmuth to direct 
so that Stallone could direct it. Could could yeah. be more active. After these messages, we'll be right back. It's the start of a new year, and you know what that means, Dion. Ugh. That means no more eggnog at the grocery store. Sadly, yes. But also New Year's resolutions. And what better way to better yourself than exploring new skills, deepening your existing passions, and losing yourself in creativity? Oh yeah, I've been loving me some Skillshare and getting in touch with my crafty side. The art of ceramics class I took called Creating a Modern Mug with instructor Helen Levy really came in handy over the holiday season. Is that why you gave me a World's Greatest Podcast co-host mug for Christmas? You made that? (laughs) Yes, I did. (laughs) I made personalized custom mugs for everyone this year. The course is a total of nine short lessons that explain every step of the process. For anyone out there who doesn't know, Skillshare is an online community with over 25,000 classes in everything from fine art and ceramics to music theory and filmmaking to business and marketing. The variety of classes you can take is amazing with real projects, the support of other like-minded creatives, and valuable feedback. It gives you the tools and the inspiration to grow. With Skillshare, I'm finding new creative passions for 2020. I've been diving into some other creative writing courses, like author Daniel Jose Older's course, Storytelling 101, Character, Conflict, Context, and Craft. That's a mouthful, Blake. <laughs> And what I like about Skillshare is that it's designed for real life. The classes are realistic in terms of length and what they assign. Look, we're all busy, but with their short classes, you can fit learning and exploring your creativity into your schedule. So if you're like us and you're excited about learning and interested in checking out Skillshare, annual subscriptions are less than $10 a month. But because Skillshare is a proud sponsor of us Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, listeners here Get two months of unlimited free access to their thousands of classes. Just go to Skillshare.com slash sat. That's a whole two months for free. Get started today by heading to Skillshare.com slash sat. One last time for good luck. Sign up at Skillshare.com slash sat. Now give me that mug. I'm going to show you this here. This is the ceramic. (laughs) This is the urine. So when they end up canning Gary Nelson, there's the story that our guy, again, Randy Jurgens, had told years ago on our podcast. You heard it here first that ends up showing up on the Blu-ray, because they, they interview him on it, where he was the uh, a film consultant on the movie, and he was doing location scouts and stuff. He helped, I guess, work getting the tram permits and stuff like a, what they can and can't do on the Roosevelt Island tram. He says, I remember him telling me years ago that they were in an interview that... Um, they were asking him about the scenes with with uh, uh, Sloan undercover as the nurse or uh, as the dr- dressed in, and he had said, "Listen, you know, at this point, if you look at Sloan's character, he's got a beard, you know, he's got his hair. You know, we would have we we've already established that there's a female cop in the movie. Why don't we have the female cop be the the decoy in that scene and just have Sloan waiting there, and then they run after whatever and it, you know, it, it I think it was maybe a dis uh, an uh, um uh, misunderstanding where. Randy's didn't push for it, but Randy's like, no, you're asking me what we would do as a yeah. cop. This I'm, is what we would do. I'm a technical consultant yeah. on the movie. I'm consulting. It's absurd to have a guy dress up because he could be... So uh, I think because of the pressure probably slides under at the moment and all this going on, and I think Randy and Gary knew each other, this was the... They, they let go of Gary, and at the same time, they let go of Randy well, that day, too. Yeah, I got the sense that Randy says it, and then Gary's like, yeah, that's right. 
Oh, and then goes to Sly. And then so, that's, uh, you know, so then Gary's pushing, Gary Nelson's pushing for that. Be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then Sly was probably like, no. <laughs> yeah. And then probably because of other things, that was probably like the last straw. Straw. Yeah. And then because it was Randy that brought it up or because of the connection, Randy ended up getting taken off the movie as well. Yeah. And he says that's the only picture he's ever been taken off of. He was going to play the Spinell part, right? Yeah. He was going to play it because he has a, he acts quite a bit. He's at the end of Maniac. And then he's also, there's a great movie called Vigilante with um, uh, William, what's his say from the Black Hole? Oh. uh, From Jackie Brown. Foresight? Oh, Forster. Forster. uh, Robert Forster. Robert Forster, yeah. Um, That's also, that's that's a Bill Lustig movie. Yes, exactly. Uh, Randy's got a big part in that. Randy's the cop that's investigating the murder of uh, Robert Forster's family or whatever in it. And then Spinell's the DA in it, uh, which is a couple years later. So Randy was doing acting. He's in cruising. He's he's Pacino's partner, so he has the bones to to pull off a scene. And I feel like we saw something else recently that he's in. Oh, he's in. God told me to. He's the cop that's investigating on Staten Island. He's also, doesn't I don't know if he has any lines, but he's in Sorcerer. He, yeah, he does that. He sends. He's the guy in Sorcerer that sends Rory Scheider down to. Uh, oh yeah. To, to 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 Baltimore, and then he's also in French Connection. He's like, please don't smoke. But, so he had the acting bones to do that scene. So they took him when they got him out of there. They replaced him and they put Spinell, who might have been already on the movie, but they've either yeah, brought know. him in or there's they, also when we talked about Maniac. There's scenes in Maniac where he's Spinell clearly has a fake mustache, and you think it's because and he's it's doing because this. he was working on uh, oh Nighthawks, yeah, and then they had to go back and reshoot stuff. So there's a couple of scenes in Maniac where you see him with a, a, a fake stash. A fake stash. And it's because he had shaved. He shaved it. I don't know if he shaved it for Nighthawks, but he was making Nighthawks at the time. Um, I, you know, I love Randy, but you know, I love I love Spinell, and and Spinell gives the best sucker, the best sucker ever. <laughs> ever. Blake and I stand <laughs> by. What I, tell you, well, I think you and I watch this movie together because <laughs> since we watch this movie yeah, together, it's what we declare. Listen to his. And it's 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 amazing too. You look at Spinell. We always talk. Spinell ends up being in 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 night night shift. Yeah, he's in cruising. He's in cruising. Um, you look at him, he's he's got a bit part in Sorcerer, and he's quite thin. He looks like his Godfather days when he's on Godfather One. Was he Chichi? I forget his name in The Godfathers. And then he's gaining weight by this point, and he's heavy in Maniac. And I th- it's a little more apparent here to me that he's heavy in this. And I f- for some reason I feel like. He lost some weight in the '80s because when I think by the time he's at Vigilante, I thought he was a little thinner, yeah. and then I think he gets heavy again because I feel like he's thin he's in the also '80s. Also in the uh, what's that crazy Bill William Plat- Blatty movie, Which the Ninth one? Configuration. Okay, that was a great movie, and he plays Satan with either. a crazy uh, cast. Yeah. There's another movie where he's playing Satan. There's a whole bunch of crazy movies he's in, uh, or he's running around uh, con killing people. You know, oh, yeah, that, you know, yeah. uh, but. Uh, we bring him up because he's great friends with Randy. Randy and him have a, uh, you know, him and Randy's wife have a, a good connection and grow. And you they, know, have you ever talked to anybody that was like in the New York film scene? They knew. They in, knew. In the 70s and early 80s, everybody was like, oh, Joe Spinell was like my best yeah. friend. <laughs> I, I was in a green room and I was talking to a producer about Maniac and Robert Davi, the actor, was waiting to get mic'd up to go. And he's sitting there and we're talking about Joe Spinell. He turns around and goes, Who's talking about Joe Spinell? And I go, I do. He goes, I knew Joe Spinell. I go, you knew Joe Spinell? This is Robert Davi. He goes, yeah, we did an episode of The Equalizer together. I was like, The Equalizer? I was like, that's great. What's his face? Of, of, um, I forget the guy's name from, uh, from Wicker Man. Uh, so Spinell comes in, 
and Spinell and Stallone have a history together because if we watch what what doc what movie is that on the Maniac documentary? Is Probably that the, yeah. There's there's a special edition of Maniac and disc two is a documentary on Spinell that Randy also talks in and Randy has a picture and he talks about how they knew each other. But him and Stallone go back together because when they were both struggling actors, Stallone was coming from Philly to live here or work here. Uh, Spinell lived in Queens with his mom. Uh, there's the very famous stories where Stallone was sleeping. We talk about this in the we we did a podcast on Rocky, and we talk a lot bit about this in the Rocky Stallone's past about yeah. him with his dog. Uh, what's the dog's name? Buckus. Buckus, and then him having he slept at the Port Authority a couple times supposedly, and he had to sell Buckus because he couldn't feed the dog or himself, and he, he didn't want the dog to go hungry. And so him and Stallone knew each other, and then that's the reason why. Uh, they were getting each other work, and I think he ha- he had Stallone try out for The Godfather, but Stallone didn't get it. Yeah. But then when his Spinell's mom's like, "Why do you keep going down to Philly?" It's because I'm doing my friend's movie. It was Rocky. He was playing uh, yeah, the, yeah. the the he the also had Stallone money at some point. I know something yeah. to do with getting Rocky made. He had something to do with getting Rocky made, and then he, of course he plays the loan shark. In Rocky, in uh, Rocky Two, in Rocky Two, and then he's at the beginning a taxi driver. With, remember, he's he's the one who interviews he's like the dispatch guy. At yeah, the taxi he's Danny DeVito. <laughs> the taxi hires De Niro. <laughs> uh, and then there's in that documentary, there's a crazy footage of him hanging out with Steven Spielberg oh, with the Jaws. When they announced Jaws getting the Academy Award for some reason, Joe Spinell's there. He's he's in he's in Spielberg's office in in Shark and um, Jaws T-shirts with somebody else, and they, they announced the awards and. Jaws doesn't get nominated for anything, and then uh, there's like a really shitty video that they're shooting, and then Spinell's like, "This is a travesty. It's a crime." Blah 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 blah. Yeah, I think so, it, maybe it was the Jaws. Maybe Jaws got nominated, but Spielberg didn't get nominated. Oh, maybe. So he's like, "How?" Because <laughs> I, I recall the, the his rant is that like, "Who's you gotta have somebody direct the movie?" <laughs> yeah, something to that. Effect. And he was also, if you look at him, he kind of had the idea that that he had the same thing that Sly did. He wanted to make a movie, and he ends up. His baby ends up being Maniac that yeah. Lusting directs. He wrote that, and uh, you know he had a very. And then you look at uh, we talk about in the Maniac podcast that we did too that there's a lot of X-rated film stars um, doing bit bit work in that because he knew the scene. He married an uh, uh, X-rated film star and he brought her down to source to to, to when they were shooting and uh, uh, what's his face uh, freaking has the middleman be Randy to tell him like listen you gotta have him they're arguing on set there's something going on he's like you gotta tell him to lay off with the girl and all that stuff and that's why he only he only has a bit part in Sorcerer so they were all friends and for whatever reason there was at some point and I didn't watch the documentary prior to this the Spinell to see what they say in it yeah it's been a long time it's been at least 10 years since I've watched that but they say that there's right around this time there's a break and I wonder I guess it wasn't because Randy was fired you know but uh, he's then Spinell's going to Randy saying, "Hey, I'm going to do you good. I'm going to do your character good. I'm going to make it." And Randy's like, "Okay, you know, you, you know, I, I'm, you, you're you're a great actor. You're you're not going to need to, you know, work hard to do a good." So Spinell takes over as the chief. They fire Gary Nelson. They fire Randy because of that. And then later on, we see that's why maybe Stallone's wearing that woman kind of mask. Yeah, you yeah. know, so you can hide the beard, and that kind of works. Although it's actually quite frightening. I think if some guy's trying to mug and then they turn on and see that, I don't think they go near. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, and it's like they, sh- they show it like just a couple too many times. Yeah. The first time you see, like, all right, yeah, it could be, and then, you know, they, and then there's a couple they times you're coming like, back yeah, to it, and, and now it you're starting, starting to register that there's something weird about it. The face, uh, and then Stallone, which I it, I never really noticed. I mean, I've noticed in some movies when he runs, he has like a do 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 do, 
But in this, you know, you, when he runs, he kind of has like a, I could tell it's Stallone running, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. He has like a distinct kind of like run. Not as bad as like a Seagal run where his arms are <laughs> flailing, but Stallone has like a one, two, three, like you know, his weight goes from one leg to the other. Uh, not bow-legged, but almost yeah, a look. Yeah. So like you could tell when he's in the dress, he doesn't look feminine at all. Um, so they, they get rid of, and they bring this other guy in, Malmuth, and in the interim, they lose the director, and they, they feel like they don't know if the picture is going to, they're, they're going to have to stop production. They're, all of a sudden, they fire the director, or the director, some people say he, Gary Nelson doesn't show up for work that day, and maybe that's why they end up firing him. So they fire him, and then all of a sudden, they don't have a director. So Stallone ends up directing some of that scene where they're, I think he's chasing the mugger, right? That scene in the dress, I think yeah, they do that stuff. A, I couldn't get a sense if it was that scene or the scene in the subway. Because they're just, they refer to it as like the, the, sub- scene of the subway chase. Yeah, like whether it's the Rudger Howard subway chase. Yeah. Or it's that scene where he's on the subway platform. I yeah. Can't, I can't get a, I couldn't get a sense from the notes um, and which scene it was. But he ends up one, he directs like one scene. And then the Directors Guild gets upset because there's a caveat, which is also very interesting. I would have never known. Yeah. There's a rule, which I forget the name of it, but it's, it's named like after. the Newman rule. And it's named after a director or an actor because years before. It's about Paul Newman. Is it, oh, is, it's, it's Paul Newman is the Newman rule? Yeah. Uh, they don't, there's an, an idea there. They don't want you to be able, anybody working on the, the movie cannot take over if the director is fired uh, and and as role of a director and the reason why is because they don't want a star and I don't know if this has happened with Newman I, can't I think it, it was a specific I don't remember yeah. what movie it was but apparently it was a, it, it was a specific movie where Newman decided he wanted to direct a movie and because he was Paul Newman at the start of the movie he got the director fired yeah so that he could direct it and then that so that so and the, then the, the director's guild was like we have to even you know we have to to we protect, have to, yeah. we have to protect our members because every time this could happen with any big star, yeah, any star can come star in can and just say, "I don't want this guy directed," and, and then I'm going to step call. in. Yeah, and even though because Stallone had directed and was a member of the Directors Guild, yeah, it's still you still couldn't do it. So, so he did um, one scene, and then they said, "Okay, that's all right." And then, well, he got they got a they, they brought yeah, and they brought another director in. So the Directors Guild find the production because Stallone directed the one scene because he was just going to take over as director. Yeah, and Lindsay Wagner alludes to that also that. You know, when it, the cast is told Gary Nelson is, is left the picture, you know, and Stallone steps up and she's like, it's amazing because, and then we've always championed Stallone. Uh, you know, to, in my mind, he's almost like Eastwood where it's like, you know, he, he was writing at that point and he says, hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I directed a movie already and I can do this easily. You know, let me just do it. I know what I want. And then that's almost shows a little more credence that Stallone is running the show. Yeah. It is Stallone's movie. And then, so... You know, there ends up being evidently a Stallone cut of the movie. There's a Rugger Hauer cut that they show the test audiences with each character, respectively, has the movie kind of leans towards them. Audiences like the Rugger Hauer cut better, supposedly. But Stallone still was like, no, I want to make it more about my character. And then the two clashed because of that. Yeah. Rugger Hauer, well, the, uh, Stallone was calling the shots. Well, that, I mean, and, that was in post production. But so in production, apparently, they clashed. And, uh,. Because Stallone rewrote the script, the speculation, and to, and kind of shifted the focus of the movie to Stallone's character, that maybe Rutger Hauer wasn't happy with that, which is understandable. And then there's something like, uh, there's a story that's kind of like... Exorcist? Exorcist story, which with is... With William Freakin? Which is, because the first... Sh- scene that Rutger Hauer shoots is the death scene, so his, his death scene. Supposedly at the end of the movie... We can get about the gore later, but Stallone, like I said before, the the arc of Stallone's character, when he 
confronts the, uh, Wolfgar, he blows him away. So there's supposedly they were going to do this elaborate, like, taxi driver-esque. And you can kind of see it. Yeah. And, you know, slow motion. Because there's taking, way more wounds on Rudger yeah. than, than and shots I've always, that go off. And I've always hated at the end of the movie that they just freeze frame and then that's it. It's like, what happened? Did they lose? The, did, did, did he get lost in the projector or whatever? And there was going to be this slow motion, him taking each shot in the, you know, all over the body, really exquisite. And then the last one, evidently Dick Smith supposedly made a, a cast of Rugger's head. And they were going to have a kill shot where it blows his brains out all over the place. And you could see it on the wall. And he comes crashing out and falls down on the, um, the brownstone steps. And that's where we, we, we pick up in the movie. So when they were shooting that scene, it was what Blake is saying. Is that one? Apparently, there was a squib put on incorrectly, backwards. So instead of exploding out away from him, it exploded towards him and it burned him. But then he was also, you know, there was a cable that when he gets shot, they're going to have people pull the cable to, you know, to simulate the, of, yeah. the impact of the bullet. And apparently, and he got pulled really hard and he got hurt because I think he f- flew back and hit the door or something. And he hurt his back. He heard that Stallone had told the guys to really pull him hard. Yeah. And so they say that also put them on the wrong footing and for then, the rest of the production. Yeah, and then he, they would get into each other's faces. And, and we get, say that's because of ex- they would, Exorcist because, because yeah, he did that to, <laughs> to uh, the mother. Yeah. Uh, she she, he, she was saying, you're pulling too hard and freaking it's said, okay. Where, it's the scene where uh, Linda Blair like backslaps. And she flies up, Bernstein, up against and the she, wall. And she falls and... Uh, they kept on pulling her back on a in a harness and a cable to simulate the impact. And she's like, "Billy, you can't, you can't pull me that hard. It's it hurts." And he said, "Okay, we won't pull you so hard." And then apparently he went to like the stunt guy. She's like, "Really, give it to her? This really, time. fucking give it to her?" And then they did it, and she really fucked her back up, and yeah, she yeah. she sued her. Then she, I don't know, she really got hurt. Uh, yeah. So that's very notorious. So getting back to this, they clashed, and then that was, and then the rest of the movie supposedly they clashed, but then afterward. Subsequently, years later, Stallone is nothing but praise for Rutger Hauer's performance. Yeah. And even Rutger Hauer's, before he passed away, said the in, same. In talking about the, the movie, he'd be like, yeah, we clashed, but it was, he's like, I didn't take anything personally. Yeah. It was just that it was a difficult movie to make, and, and so we clashed on things. We talk about Rutger Hauer's character here, or his, 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 what's going on with him. This is his first American movie, not English speaking, but first American movie. Yeah. And then during filming, supposedly his mom dies and his best friend dies. So that he has to fly back to the Netherlands for the f- funeral and, and all that kind of services and then come back and not really miss a day of work. So you think about what place he's in in the mindset when sure. he's shooting this movie. And then and this shit crazy is happening. to think that this comes out in 81. Yeah, and it's shot in and 79. And so, like, Blade Runner's coming out the next year. Yeah, so he's he, so I'm sure this is a good reason why he got Blade Runner or put pe- put eyes on people. He did, like, a French movie after this uh, about... Um, I forget what fashion designer or whatever, uh, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's amazing the stuff that he's doing at this time. And I, I've always loved him in this movie. And I think, uh, uh, I know a lot of women who are like my mom's age, who, who like my mother-in-law is in love with Rutger Hauer, you know, God rest his soul. He's passed away. And I feel like a lot of women fell for him in this movie. Like he's very, you know, da- especially when he becomes Rutger Hauer and he gets the plastic surgery yeah, yeah. and he's in the discos and all that. And, and, um, there's so much I want to get to that, and you know, we, we only have a limited amount of time, but I think he's, he's great in this and the scenes that he does have, I think are really, really awesome. And I think he makes the best of them. Uh, and he, whatever he can do, he is able to, 
he's great. You know, to, he's to great around that character. I, mean, I would have loved to have a two hour, two and a half hour version. And because I would love more of the Lindsay Wagner Stallone sure. relationship, and I would love more of Rudger Hauer and yeah. start find out more of like what why he's doing things. And just more scenes between him and that girl, who, which, by the way, you know who that, the, his his sidekick is. Yeah, um, she's a, I believe an Indian actress. Yeah, uh, Asian Persis Kambada. Yeah, good luck with that. She plays Shaka. Sure. Who also played Lieutenant Ilya in Star Trek: The Motion Picture? Oh, she's wow! With the shaved head. Yes, yes, While yes. While we were watching it, I was thinking she's, to myself, I was like, "Is this the? Is, yeah, is this the moment?" And with the she head is. For motion? fucking great in this movie too i love the idea since we don't have we don't have a lot of backstory i wonder if there's a novelization for this that fills all this i in. believe there is that's a shame and i didn't and it was the kind yeah. of thing i follow somebody on twitter that's all about i bet you this is all into it and all they talk and all they and their whole twitter feed and i wish I, I could think of what their name is right now so people can go follow them is that it's just this person just uh post picture post photos of their novelization I've seen collection. It, yeah, yeah. And if you, and if I you feel like, hashtag, and I literally feel like within the last him. week, yeah, he posted a, a Nighthawks, <sighs> and I was like, "Damn, there's no way I'm going to get it." In yeah, time. <laughs> I know. I was thinking that two nights ago. I'll get it, pay for it, and, I was, and then I'm like, I can't read it in a day. But I bet you all this is in the novelization. But I feel like her character so awesome in it, and the only three scenes or four scenes she has are so convincing. I love the idea of uh, who's the guy, Muhammad or. Uh, there's the one guy he's trying to impress, which I love that whole plot of. And yes, he's watching now, but you're, or he, you know, you have to get with the whole London that he he does this the London store. We have uh, what's her face there, uh, Catherine Mary Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was featured on an episode of Saturday Night Movie Sleepover yep. back for Last Starfighter. Last Starfighter, and what else did she do? Uh, I feel she, like she. I feel like she, she was, was in one like. Of, she was like on like Amazon Women from the Moon or so she's in from one of those like comedy sci-fi. But I feel sci-fi. like she has a one more part in something that we did. Uh, a small part. I feel like she showed up as a cameo like as like, you know, she's not his his girlfriend in in Back to the Future, but I feel like you know, she she had a one more in something else we did, but she's great. She's the she plays the girl. She said she was living in London at the time. And she went to a casting call that Stallone was at. So Stallone was present, evidently, at all these casting calls and I guess was even in talks of who he wanted to play opposite him in different roles and stuff. So he's, so in, in the line of women, he sees her. She says that they're making a lot of eye contact. She noticed that. Oh, she's like, oh. She's in, we can, she's in Weekend of Bernie's. There you go. She's the love. She's Jonathan Silverman's yeah, interest I knew in she's, I, And it was Night of the Comet is the movie I was thinking Oh, okay. Of. Not Night of the, no, Night of the Creeps. Uh, not Amazon Women. That's, that's Gino Davis, maybe? But uh, uh, so she, so we, Stallone, weekend of Bernie's. Yeah, so she ends up doing the part. She's the girl at the counter, and she says to her credit that she had a really good English accent. That she was able, to, she because she, she was working. That's interesting. She's living and she must have been getting acting work in London. Yeah, well, maybe she was modeling. Yeah, she and so, she, but then when they when they overdubbed it, they dubbed her. So it's not her voice, and it's yeah. a, it is. I noticed that I was like, "Wow, she's doing a terrible English yeah, yeah. accent," and it's just an overdub because they did the ADR work in California. Yeah, and so they, she was they probably in back. London. So yeah, just, for two lines. So so he blows. So he blows the thing up. I love that. Then the next scene of him where he's he's at like a little party, and it's very it's so that's what I think it's so authentic where you get such the New York vibe, but then when you go to London, everyone looks you know it's like raw meat. Yeah, that's yeah. that move, you know, of the era of late seventies uh, London, and then you have the IRA guy come, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, my, my reason why I'm laughing is because that scene is like those those cops that pull up. Oh yeah, they just pull in like assholes. 
park all crooked. Yeah, and they come leave out. their doors open. Yeah, that's how they do it. They leave <laughs> the car like, running. If they, if they just yeah. came in subtly, subtly parked, park, you know, yeah, they could have got right parallel in. Parallel parked in that spot. Yeah. Got out. They, they ruined it. Um, <laughs> and then there's the next scene where the, uh, you know, where the cops talking to our our main. Oh, Davin, uh, uh, Nigel Davenport. Yeah, who uh, is in, uh, who plays the the, the British. He's, yeah. he's Detective Inspector Peter Hartman, but he's also he plays a cop in Deep, in a uh, Peeping Tom. Peeping, t- okay, arc favorite. He plays Van Helsing in the 1973 Dan Curtis version of Bram Stoker's Dracula, which had Jack Palance. Dan Curtis of the uh, fame of um, uh, Night Stalker Night, and Night, Night Stalker TV movies and Dark Shadows, Dark Shadows, which Robert Colbert and we uh, talked about him on the Night Stalker podcast we did. Darren McGavin, uh, Robert Colbert did the music for all those Dan Curtis things. Yeah, Robert Colbert's going to be featured in my new book. Yes, he is. How old is he? God bless him. He's ninety five now. That's a plug. He Blake's was- <laughs> next book's going to be coming out the end of the year, and it's got. What's his name? Robert Colbert. Yeah. Bob Colbert. Yeah, who did all that stuff. He's in his 90s and talks about his extensive career as doing soundtracks and but, stuff. But Nigel Davenport was also featured in on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers because he's in Greystoke. He's in Greystoke, <laughs> the legend of Tarzan. Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. Yeah. So, well, my I point, say, it's all insensuous. <laughs> my point was, they're there's, like there's the scene where the cops come up and they're like- That party. And he's like, well, you, you know, he's giving him and and, uh, and Nigel Davenport's like, I don't know, just wish people would listen to me before shit goes down or whatever. Yeah. Beforehand. You shouldn't park like assholes. <laughs> I would have been like, one thing you should have done is not park like fucking assholes. Yeah, and you would have fucking got him. <laughs> and it's it's great because the scene is like, you end up, he thinks that the, the IRA guy, uh, and it, that's also cool too because the IRAs, there's bombings at that point, the Sinn Féin sure. and all that kind of shit in, in England and because of Northern Ireland. So he's probably doing freelance work for them. And uh, he thinks that, guy, that guy's been caught by the cops for a couple of days, comes out, comes right to him, and they obviously follow him. But Rugger Howard's character thing, he dimed him out. In reality, they just followed him, and he actually had his passport and stuff on him. So the next scene, that girl's like, you know, he had a picture of you in his pocket. So that's why he needs to get the, 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 the plastic surgery, yeah. which I think is great. And then they're like, he's like, I still want to do stuff. He, they fly to Paris, and they meet at Paris. And like, well, let's, let me go to New York, and I'll start doing stuff in New York. Um, so I love all that stuff with her. And at the end of the movie, when they're at, in the tram, and what does he say to her? He's like, that's so fucking freaky. He's like, you know, we may not survive this. And she's like, I, don't worry, I know. That's for the cause. It's like so, like, yeah. it's such... Problem is we never really learn what the cause is. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's just para, ter, you know, the domestic terrorism of the but day. But apparently a lot of that... You know, there was a, 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 there was a that, reasoning... You know, ended up like what the what the actual cause yeah, that if, they were trying to bring attention to. You know, have it be whatever the domestic. I mean, they, there's a hint that they want them to release somebody. Yeah, a bunch of bunch of people. But um, yeah, a lot of that gets lost. The UN. But I do love the I love the structure of the beginning of the movie where it's like December 31st, New York City. Yeah, and then it cuts to like December 31st, London, and they do it better and than then just like the, the the the. I love that it's. That juxtaposition, yeah. that cut, cutting from city to city until until everything's in one and place. And I don't feel it as jarring as Sorcerer, because we're in Sorcerer, you have those four expositions. But there is, yeah. And then you get... But, but there is me, like a terrorist like, bombing at the beginning of Sorcerer. Yeah, right? in Israel. They're, they're, yeah, and because you're finding out why these guys go down or ending up in that shitty-ass South American town. Yeah. Uh, but to me, Sorcerer is hard because it almost like it's four beginnings. Where this doesn't feel like it's four beginnings. It's just yeah. well, plot I, I like of, the way that works, too. Oh, it's I just, do, too. It serves a different function. Yeah. Um, but here, so you get the uh, what's going on, and then he gradually he ends up getting to New York City. 
Um, now, it's funny because last week we talked about Kojak because I did the Meow Baby. There's an episode of Kojak from uh, season three, episode two from 1975 called My Brother, My Enemy. And Stallone's on it. And if we look at Stallone's character in this movie, Stallone goes to Nam, comes out of Nam, must join the f- police force. Yeah. So I'm saying here that I think <laughs> his backstory, yeah, that he play, he, he he's a younger officer. Now, in in if I read the uh, the the this, uh, synopsis of this episode, it's uh, Rick Daly. We'll forget the name. Is a young trigger happy cop with good intentions to help people. In response to a knife killing, he's too quick on the trigger and winds up killing a preteen boy. Kojak attempts to shield Daly when the public reacts, demanding revenge, but gets suspicious when cracks appear in Daly's story. Now the tables are turned. The cops feel like Kojak is persecuting Daly. When the guy is found who Daly was pursuing, Kojak confronts Daly on the roof where the shooting occurred to nail down the truth. So in the episode, it's like Stallone shooting too quick and then asking questions. He's like, I'm a cop. And I remember at the end of the episode... He goes on his way, but Kojak's kind of like, you know, you did it. You did it, baby. Yeah, you know, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and, it, and, it, it, and it's, it's, it's quite funny, you know, and here, here's a little picture of, I got, I got a picture up of that two of them oh, yeah, in the episode, you know. And he's like, hey, baby, it's a great, I remember when I watched it, I sent you a screen grab. I was like, look who it is. It's, it's uh, Sly, because there's a whole ton of famous people on, because, uh, you know, that was the biggest thing running back in the day. Season three, episode two, 1975. So I feel like, that's it's his just, beginnings, and then after a little the, bit of the backstory. Yeah, for, so then when he gets uh, for, out of for Deke the Silva. Yeah, when he gets out of uniform, which he's in Kojak, he goes into a plain clothes undercover unit, and then he's five years to, later, he learned his lesson. He's a decoy. Yeah, he's now he's doing decoy up in the, in the Bronx but and all that. So is less trigger happy because he knows because of the incident. Yeah, because he just got out of an arm. So he's like, this is the rounding incident here. So. Um, and Rugger Howard in the movie, I feel like he's almost like a firebug. You know, remember when he blows up? When he remember, you know, the scene when he blows Wall Street up, he's kind of like almost like, you know, yeah, he's yeah. like into it, like he's, you know, I he, always like because before we met and watched this movie together, I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and in my head it was like Rugger Howard's character was the guy from uh, the the Chuck. Norris movie we did. Oh, like oh. in my head, like I always remembered, Rudger Hauer was the guy that blew up the Christmas tree. Oh, in, in <laughs> Invasion <laughs> USA. <laughs> yeah. um, in my head, it was like that was the same movie. Like Rudger Hauer was driving around with a rocket launcher. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, <laughs> he, Richard Lynch. He plays Richard, who's yeah, also yeah. the 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 psych or the Jesus character in God Told Me To. Yeah, uh, who was also friends with Randy Jurgens and that we talked because we did we did on the, here the Chuck Norris we did Invasion USA. But yeah, very. Very crazy, very... T- and then that ends up, like we said, all this stuff ends up being real with the domestic terrorism into the, you know, and, and especially... And that's what Rugger Howard, that's a main criticism of his, which I kind of agree with, where he's like, since they didn't take the story matter seriously, I guess earlier versions or the scenes that were from his point of view actually showed more of, uh, I guess, the depth of what was going on because this was happening, like we said, in England and Northern Ireland, of course, in the Middle East, and stuff like that, where stuff was, you know, all this is really actually happening. Uh, it's a shame that you don't see any of that, you know, especially with, uh, you know, everything that it could have been. So, let's see. He comes up, Stallone, and Stallone, it, it's funny, at the, at the, they're such, like, kind of like heart, like, they're so into their job, they're such assholes. 
like you know the scene when they they go they go undercover in the in Central Park and they're going under that bridge that like yeah. is in Wolf. It's in every movie. You know, it's, the Doors have an album cover where it's to everybody. You know, and they're gonna get mugged and then those cops come because they're because they're kind of they, you know they're urgently needed for the reassignment and they're like yelling at the cops, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> and then those the cops are like, fuck you, you uniform guys, because the cop I think had rank. He's a, he's a you know he's like don't give a sergeant anybody nowadays. And there's this big like you know fight. You know, they're such assholes. Well, I think one of my, I think one of the charming things about the movie is that like every scene that Stallone and Billy D. Waves are in together seems like they're just completely making shit up. Like oh, it's, yeah, all impro- it's, it's all, all improv. Yeah. that's why they're always yelling at everybody because <laughs> yeah. that's what happens. That's what you and I used to do <laughs> when people improvise, in, improv. Yeah, acting, it very quickly goes to like from zero to one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> people just start very emotional, very emotional. That scene when they first. Uh, it's a great establishing shot where they're supposed to be in the Bronx and you see them walking around and they get up and they go up and they're, they're, they're walking all cool and you got the funky music and they go up on top of the rooftop and then they come down and they, they hit the, I think it's a crack house or whatever they're hitting, um, heroin and there's the big scene and, you know, as, you know, there's not a lot of depth to Billy Dee's character, sadly, but some people may say it's cliched or looks stupid. I find that scene to be very fulfilling where... Uh, you know, Billy D wants to because he they they kick in the door. They got a crack house. That one guy's like, "We paid you off already," so it means there's dirty cops. And you know, Billy D's maybe coming from the neighborhood. This is you know, he's it's it's killing his young brothers and sisters too, his sons and daughters and the family. And that you know, that guy's like, "Screw you!" And, and Billy D's ready to blow his brains out. And then he sees the little boy that's yeah. watching, and then the implication. I love that that the little boy's there, and he's you know, growing up in that world and. So I love that where Stallone is like, you know, you, Billy D, you got to shut it down, Billy D. <laughs> Billy D, shut it down. You know, and it's, um, you know, this is a role I could have easily, uh, there's another movie we've never done called The Laughing Policeman with Burgess Meredith, not Burgess Meredith, with, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name from? Uh, Walter Matthau. His character in that is Lou Gossett. And I don't think he's even junior yet. It's just he's still building himself as Lou Gossett. And he plays a fine role in that. And I think this is, you know, Lou Gossett could have been in this too just as well and done, done a great, you know, uh, as Billy Dee. But Billy Dee's great in this, you know, uh, yeah, as small a, as it it's is. It's a small part, but it's a it's a powerful good, part. Yeah, and it's a good juxtaposition or you a know, good foil for Sly's character in it. You know, that's they have good chemistry, like I said. I love, it. it does, like I said, it reeks to me of like they're just kind of improvising against each other. Sure, which they probably but are. Love, but I love that about yeah. it. Like there's a certain charm to it. Um, that comes out of that, but I love that there's like you're saying that they're so like high strung about being cops, and even when they're in the uh, you know in the in the briefings with Dan. Oh yeah, Paris that's what I'm saying. Like, it's like so disrespectful, and it's funny because when I was little, I'd watch that, and I was like, oh, they're cool, you know, it is boring. But like when you're watching it now, and you're actually listening, like he's trying to give them, yeah, yeah. And it's also I think very controversial the stuff Nigel Davenport in, in the current political. Genre, I think a lot of it's not politically yeah. correct. Where he, what he's saying, a lot of people would have problems with it. But he's trying to. The point is, they're trying to show you that. Yeah, you may know the streets of your city, but you need to understand the mindset of this guy, which we know now. These terrorists who blow themselves up or kill whatever, or if he has hostages, yeah, yeah. he will kill the he's hostages. He's not some yeah. thief or some jewels. Like, yeah, he's not a purse snatcher. You got to understand. Yeah. You know that that when you're playing with lives. To me, it's like the bad guy in Scorp- uh, Scorpio from Dirty Harry who's a nut if he grew up and refined himself he could have turned into professionally yeah. could have be turned into the the the, the uh, what's his name uh, uh, 
Wolfgar. Yeah, I keep. I, I used to always think it was Wolf, but the Wolfgar scene. Um, but I think he's. It, it, it's great. It all comes together, and then it kind of show. I mean, you've got the theme of you know he doesn't want to use violence at the beginning with the purse snatcher. You know, and then he's saying to you know Stallone, he's like, you know, don't do it. And then on the subway, and then he beats the guy up, and then that's I remember that being very comical, where you have the one shot, and Stallone's you know dragging from one side of the subway t- uh, station stop yeah, to the yeah. other. The guy, you got the right to remain silent. You know, that was that's very iconic. You know, uh, the scenes where he's dressing up as the woman t- at that at that scene too. You know, t- to lure them in, that's very iconic. I think that became a gimmick, kind of like. The French Connection, where we talk again about in the Randy Jurgensen interviews about the the problems he had with the poster, French Connection, that whole scene with with uh, it's you know real in the real world versus film world, where you can't have a cop shooting a guy in the back, but then they do it in such a way in French Connection, they make it the poster where cl- you know crowds are cheering. So, <laughs> yeah. so Sly's kind of right; it is very iconic to have him dressed as a woman. You know that that's something people remember, and it, then it turns into the thing. It's a throwback at the end of the movie. Well, there's this documentary that I. I had I haven't seen it in forever. I had a, I, I saw it because Dave Hastings of the Brothers of, Hastings of the Brothers Hastings had it on VHS. It was called Terror in the Isles. Yeah, and it was uh, oddly enough released as a bonus feature on the first Universal Blu-ray release of Halloween Two. Wow! Because oh, I think you, is this with Jack Palance? It's, uh, no, Jack Donald uh, Pleasant. Donald Pleasant. It's hosted I mean. by Donald Pleasant. Yeah. It's about horror movies, and so it's just like. Uh, Pleasance in a movie theater talking about horror movies and then they would show all these scenes mm-hmm. from horror movies but then for some reason they there was all these scenes from Nighthawks <laughs> really <laughs> like mixed in like mixed into the shovel and so there's like the scene of Vardar Hauer sneaking up on Lindsay Wagner who we think is Lindsay Wagner in oh the kitchen, yeah yeah like all that's in in, uh, in in Terror in the Isles uh and the whole buildup of it all, like when he gets here, that whole underground is very scary for me. That that's which is probably very much relevant now with maybe with Middle East terrorism, or whatever. That there's places all in the city that maybe, or in the whole country. I mean, there's the home, the show Homeland was all about that. Where yeah. and there's other shows, maybe the Rush, or the Americans, and all that kind of show, yeah. where you have these you know fronts that are actually these undercover spots and stuff. So Rugger sure. is very, and 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 his mo of where he. He goes to a disco, or he go, goes to a city, and then he's able to get a girlfriend, and that's his base of operations. That's very smart. Yeah. And I love he picks up the... We see him at the disco. He picks up the girl. At the, he's looking for a girl, and she doesn't look like she's having a good time, and he's all dressed up nice, and he already has a bottle of champagne and two glasses ready. He goes up to her, and I love how they don't... You can't hear the dialogue, because it's not necessary. Yeah, but yeah. it's just well enough so you can hear them kind of talking. Um, I find that fabulous, and um, I don't know if there was any more scenes with that girl, but well, she was a fr- flight attendant. Yeah, well, there's a scene where she's like, well, this is where ABC is, and yeah. he's like asking her to show her around, like, where are all the news networks? Yes, which is on 6th Avenue near our, our headquarters. And so there's that, and that's when we learn that she's a flight attendant. Yeah, and she's going to be going away. And then he's staying at her apartment, yeah. and then she's the one that comes in and finds his bag of tricks his film closet. his film box they have, they have like a camera box that he's got all this stuff in and he ends up killing her the same way but again it's such a and what's he has that line he says you're, you're gonna go live a better life or you're gonna go to a better he says it Something two like or three that. times yeah. to people he, he says it to the Irish guy he kills in the stairs with the, with the Uzi and he says it to her um, and I love the scene because then once he loses her, he's got to find somebody else. Correct. So he goes to the discotheque, and then that's why... That scene 
Yeah. That's why, like, it's like Billy D and, and Stallone going to discotheque to discotheque, being like, you you see this girl? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great, just, because they're they like, we her, don't know what to do. Because we find her dead. Yeah. So Spinell like, calls him and says, listen, we found her, but they had a picture, a map of Wall Street Circle, and that had just been blown up. Yeah. And they're like, why did it get blown up at night? He's like, because he's trying to make a point that he could do it during the day if he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, so when they get to the, the finally they get to the discotheque and the guy's like, oh yeah, I've seen, he was here. Yeah, and that guy, I, I, my, his name eludes me. He's been a bunch of stuff in yeah, the yeah. '80s. He's always like the Italian. He's in, I think he's in a lot of Scorsese films, but he's got, you know, he's like but the I Italian love, guy. I, it's such a great scene. I, I took that scene and put that in my book. Uh, you know, there's a scene in a, in a, a couple discotheques in my book where two guys, cops, are looking for a guy, and uh, I find that scene fabulous. Like the tension when I used to go to back in my single days, and I would go to like the nightclubs and. I always was more of a of a, uh, a voyeur. I'd like to watch when I go and listen to the music, and you get into like the you know. And that was always you think about, wow, what would happen if there was like an action sequence during a you know? And you yeah. see it in some movies, you know, which is uh, Collateral has a great action sequence in a nightclub. I'm sure John Wick's do Terminator. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that scene, and then the DP talks about what he did with the strobe lights. He he you know he didn't sync them with the shutter of the camera. Yeah, the problem with in a nutshell, what happens is because. Uh, a film camera's twenty four frames a second, so it's actually closing the so aperture. So the, f- the shutter's actually closing. So f- there's twenty four frames of film a second, but that means that there's twenty four times where there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so uh, so if you see, you could you could literally like not sync something up and shoot something, and if it's in sync but off sync. You could literally just get a piece of black film, like unex- you know, like you didn't get any of it, which is crazy. Because I mean, it's, it's it's a because the, the light's going off while the shutter's open, and then it's going on, and then the light's going on while the shutter while the shutter's closed. Yeah. so you can lose the image completely. Um, That's why you see sometimes if you see a camera shooting a TV and you see like a line going up a TV because it's not synced. Yeah, because that's going off a different. There is a strobe. Yeah. to that we just don't perceive it in the human eye because it's twenty nine frames a second on a television. So there. So he's saying typically you would you would sync the strobe lights to the camera so that you don't have that so you don't have the that happen of, of but he said i he the dp per, purposely didn't want to sync the camera so that sometimes it would go black yeah and i think it just look and it's so that is you know again it's just a a, a great uh and the music helps a lot like i said i like i don't love the version of um Oh, I'm a man. I'm a man in terms of when it gets to the vocals and stuff. Yeah. But like the groove during it. Sure. It's like the tension. Yeah. It's like palpable. And like when Stallone sees him and it's like, I can't remember in my mind, it's like it's it's pushing in on Stallone and he's watching and then cutting back and forth. And then he's like, and he starts. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's been all day. He's been taking that piece of paper and he's drawing different I love things. It. That scene is so, yeah. is so fucking. We good. we met uh, a, uh, at a convention a couple months ago. Uh, a gentleman by the name Brendan uh, Falkner, who's a who's an actor. He's a director. He did what um, do do? Dead Time Story, something like that. Yeah, I and, forget what what movie he directed. And he did he did a lot of background. He also did a lot of like you know like we do. We do a lot of we work in TV, but we do a lot of behind the scenes work technically and stuff. And he did a lot of technical work. And he was working as a crew guy on Nighthawks. And he got to be, I, he says he's in the scene because they needed somebody. And Stone's like, hey, just take him because he's here. And he's one of the bar, do- I think when they get into that scene and the guy's standing by the door and he's showing people. And then the other guy comes and he's like, I'll show you around. I remember he, the girl here. And then that's when they start walking around and he says, he's not here. And they're like, where are you going to stay for a minute? He goes, okay. And he leaves. And that's the scene we're talking about here. Yeah. I think he's in that. But that whole scene is so good. And this leads us also to another part, I guess, of 
there was they were so worried about the X rating. Uh, at the time, you know, you had pornography out. Pornography was getting X rating. X rating that label was really big at the time because that meant porn. You had movies like Taxi Driver and all these other movies that were very gory of the era, and they were worried with the gore level that they were going to get an X rating, and they cut the shit out of this movie. But then when they first submitted it to the MPA, they still got an X. They still got an X rating. So they cut the shit out of it again. So supposedly in that sequence. He kills a lot more people in the nightclub, which I think is awesome. And I don't mean that in a way like he's... <laughs> like, fuck people. Yeah, fuck people. I want to see people, but I think it's just... The, the, I, it raises the stakes. Yeah, and I love the drama. That's why I put that scene... In, uh, uh, I, I lifted that scene and put it in my book. I love this, the idea of something else completely going on, and these people are having the time of their lives, and suddenly there's a shootout because some crazy nuts there, and yeah. then it leads to this well, big foot chase. that happened just like last year or something. Yeah. Like a gay, gay club in Florida, right? Yeah, down there, yeah. That's, well, that guy was targeting people down there. It wasn't, yeah. But still. Still, you know, yeah. Exactly. Nobody else knew they were being targeted. No. Uh, so, it, it, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it raises the state. I mean, that's, and that's, Horrifying because that's real life, you know. Yeah. And in the context of the story here, I think it raises the stakes. And I and I, I like gore not for blood and guts, but I like when it's making a point, you know, yeah, yeah. for not for, for so much for the shock value, but for the realism. Yeah, but even just the the shock, you know, the idea of the sh- the the shocking truth of randomness. Yeah, exactly. In public is is horrifying. Yeah, and I think it's and it's especially with you know, we know that he'll do anything. You, you know, you may even think at the end when he's on the tram that he may drop Sly and the baby or he may throw the baby out, you know. And uh, the the filmmakers talk about how even we may not think that's a big scene, but at the end when he executes that one girl on the tram and throws her away, that was horrifying yeah. for audiences. Um, so that's also very scary, you know. And, and, and I guess at the end of it, the original script was going to be that he was going to take over uh, some meeting at the UN and try, but they couldn't do that, of course, because they probably couldn't film at the no. Nobody's ever been able to film until recently at the UN building, which even, is right near even there. Even Hitchcock had to steal the shot yeah. outside of the UN for North by Northwest. Northwest. Yeah, so um, you you could shoot around it like you see Rugger walk up to it, but you can't really do anything right outside of it. So they ended up using the Roosevelt Island fair tram, which is awesome because we see that and then then subsequently in Superman uh, Spider Man in two thousand one or two. Yeah. Uh, and it's a and it's in a bunch of other movies, but um, I think it may be the first time they say that it's used in a movie. And it's a great device having that, but yeah, I mean, I, even there's people that live in New York that don't even know that that's yeah that exists, and it's so scary to me because I don't know, just I I have a fear of heights and stuff like that, but then like when they're midway and they turn it off and it stops and it's like <laughs> going yeah. back and forth. Oh, that's I'd be shit my pants at that point, <laughs> you know. And then having to shoot up there, they took a week to just they had to, they cordon it off and they had to shoot and use yeah. it. Um, so, but the we have this whole nightclub scene which is awesome and it leads to this great foot chase uh, through the subways and they're jumping turnstiles they're jumping on the subway it's a great little subway chase uh, Stallone in this movie supposedly doing almost all his own um, uh, stunts in the movie and he's doing it all in heels and he's doing it all in like Cuban heels because he's a short guy so he's got he's wearing like cowboy boots so he's running all around and it looks like Billy D might be doing some of the stuff with him or, yeah. or, or Billy D's hanging on like you know but Stallone evidently they say he some it's conjecture if he did the jump on the subway or I mean I guess you do see the shot they're watching it going and then they start running and you see him jump and he falls a little bit and yeah, then you yeah. have the scene then, I don't know if that's him but then he is on the outside of it kicking the window in but I thought it was one take where he gets in and then you see him them standing there and they're watching it go and then it goes and they run and then they jump and jump you know what I mean yeah, I don't know I don't remember yeah and then it's you're you're right. It's certainly him hanging on for dear life, and he's you know he's, he's hanging off in, the 
cables. From yeah, a, and then that's and then at the end he does the he does the old, he does the cable jump. He he flies the helicopter. He gets off, and then he does the the. Uh, the lit where they have to lift him up into the to the tram as well as the DP says he did it too because they needed the point of view of Stallone looking up coming in so they the, the guy evidently is uh, what is he he said he's far sighted he's near sighted so that he couldn't see far okay I thought far sighted means you could see far and then near sighted is he's near sighted so he can't see so far. he can't see far yeah. So, so he, he couldn't see anything, you know. So like he couldn't really see how high up <laughs> yeah. he was. So he's like, it was just all blur anyway. Yeah. So he certain. did it. He did. The, he did it, and that was a lot of ball. So that they have that scene uh, there, and um, you know, it, it really raises the stakes with everything. Yeah. You I mean, know, it's a shame that you know a lot of the gore would have been fine. I do. I do. It is a shame that you lose this the story arc a little bit of Stallone, like resistant to using his gun yeah. violence and then when he when he does it it's like he loses well, that's control the, you know I what i mean like yeah. he just blows the fuck out of red ground i would have loved like it like at like the boiling point yeah. and then he loses it a little bit like that would have been i mean you lose that arc of, on, yeah. for him unfortunately i would have sacrificed all the gore in the movie to have them fight to keep that scene in yeah. To keep him blow. Because he says that ri- the ending scene rivaled like the bloodiness of the taxi climax. Driver. Yeah, the climax of Taxi Driver. So that would have been very poetic in a sense of you, you, you're it's completing that arc where yeah. he takes the gun and and, and, he he says, can, and you see why he doesn't want to do that. Yeah, he, <laughs> because he, 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 he can't control himself if he goes that yeah, far. Yeah, and you know, and you, and you get hints of it when he's shooting, like you know, the in in the uh, in the shooting gallery, you know, him getting ready to go and stuff like that. But then Billy D's like, take the shot, and he does, and he hesitates. And I mean, and then, you know, it's also like, well, Billy D, you're there too. You can shoot as well. <laughs> Billy, you could have taken the yeah, shot. You could have did it yourself, you know? And there's also, God forbid, he was being blocked. You got to be a crack shot because there's only about a six inches. I mean, and that is a, I'm sure there's a shitload of people out there who could take that shot and be accurate. But if Sly was a little nervous, you don't want to, you know, he's he is hiding behind a hostage and yeah. an elderly lady. But all that stuff is great when he runs down and he grabs, I mean, I love that kind of shit. He grabs the old woman, he's like, scream, and they get in and they have to follow him. And then uh, him getting away and he, that old slashing Billy D's face open and then, you know, him screaming. It's very iconic. It's almost you can laugh at it, but it's also very iconic with, uh, you know, when Billy D, you get the Dick Smith, the blood yeah. all pouring out and he's holding There's his face. There's a moment where he's you're like, like oh, why does he just keep not go after him? Yeah, oh, he's worried about Billy. He's saying, okay, I'm going to Yeah, you know, it's like, you, that was another thing Blake and I used to for years. We'd reenact in the subway. So. I forgot we used to do that. So. You know, okay, you're fucking dead. You're dead. And you see him riding the subway like, fuck, I'm dead. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, let's see. Um, you have all that kind of stuff. Anything else you have, you know, uh, we said Spinell's playing a good part. Lindsay Wagner's playing a good part. Uh, oh, the beautiful Lindsay Wagner. The b- beautiful Lindsay Ra- Wagner. A uh, Wagner. Uh, Wagner. Wagner. Uh, let's see. There was a there was a 1978 movie that was uh, about homosexual male school teachers called Night Hawks. So don't get that confused when you look it up. Um, I mean, unless you want to. But that that, that was. I'm sure it's a fine movie. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great. Evidently, it's a classic. Um, so let's see. What, what did we did we? And evidently, when they got to Paris, because I guess that was near the end of shooting. Uh, the DP and Stallone kind of got into it a little bit because Stallone was being a little like, you know, too like physical with him and like wanted to punch him. And he was like, hey, you know, and then like, I guess they actually, 
they actually Smart. he punched back and then they, they got into a little tuffle and they had to like be broken up a little bit because they're just getting a little into it and the DP's like I've had enough of you fucking <laughs> one of those me. things where it started off kind of lighthearted and then things just went a little too far yeah it's the one you can't the- get hit and it's like you know and it's all of a sudden it's it's back and forth um, but that whole scene at the end. With, uh, with the tram is breathtaking like we said all that they they shut nowadays you'd get none of that they wouldn't hold up the tram for however long they would just build no, it it'd be a tram and in a green screen, big screen, screen. <laughs> yeah you know and, and they hang it maybe 20 feet in the air on a sound stage you know where back then they're like we gotta fucking do it you know so they're doing all this kind of shit on their own and then the end scene which is crazy what they took the city bus uh, that they did that too, and there's a big shooting in that the laughing policeman on a city bus. But they they commandeer the city bus, and uh, when he gets away, they get the hostages off. But that's really daring. They take the shot, and he has the cassette tape, and you don't understand why he doesn't. When he pats him down, he don't feel the cassette tape there. Yeah, yeah. And then they do the shot where they shoot up the bus, and the bus goes off. Evidently, there was two people in the in the in the bus when it. They didn't just set it to go. They had somebody drive it and somebody else, and then then they said the bus got into the river. And the current, the East River current took it, and then it went down, and it started tumbling underwater, the bus, and then they were worried they lost the two stuntmen and the other guy doing it. It's like, holy shit. And then they were like, you know, we thought they were, they got real, and the first guy popped up, and then we thought that we lost the second guy, and the second guy popped up. So I wonder if there were two guys, and one of them was supposed to be Stallone, maybe there was an alternate take where Stallone got on the bus too? Yeah, I don't That would have been fucking awesome. Like, Stallone run... Because you, you, <laughs> you, you see Stallone running, and he breaks the window, and he kind of oh, yeah, stops. He throws the, the gun or yeah, something. Yeah, because he's out of bullets. It would have been... Yeah, if he broke in, and then there's like a... I'm, I'm stealing that. <laughs> Fight in the in Yeah, the bus. for a minute or two, and then the book Because that's such a... That's like speed there. I remember back in the day when that, the, uh, that uh, Keanu Reeves movie was really into it was really huge they were talking about on that show movie magic how they were able to get the bus yeah. and that was the biggest they got that bus 50 feet in the air and then they cgi the rest of it and they, you know that was the big thing this bus gets some air you know um very funny in the um in the club scene we were just talking about where he's like talking about when he sees him and he's like looking he's like he i think he does a great can i reeves impression because that guy <laughs> is standing over there um <laughs> uh, and then, oh, what was the scene I was just talking about? Oh, so then, you know, him and Nigel Davenport are the hard asses, but then they kind of like, you know, I like you, I like you too. And they go yeah, to the well, museum. Like, you know something's going to happen. And you and I always talk about Chinese that. food <laughs> later. Remember that? We used to always talk about that. <laughs> yes, but who's buying? Uh, beauty before <laughs> age. I'll buy. What are you going to have? I'll have the poo-poo platter. You know, it's like they're talking about... It's like, uh, something's going to happen to Nigel. Yeah, and then it died. It's, that's a great scene, they too. They finally got along. Yeah, it's like, I show who I'm going to kill you too. Oh, at the Met too. That's yeah, one of my favorite place in the whole city is the Met. And then he, and that's a great kill shot when they, when because then you have the uh, the close ups of I guess Billy D's a crack shot. And then he comes back with this. You think he he's talking normal at the Met. You think yeah. he'd be talking like you know well, I, I had to wire my mouth shut because no. I got a fucking scar that cut through and bled the fuck. But he's like, no, I'm fine. This is no, stitch it up. Yeah, it's, it's, right. <laughs> he's right back the next day. You know, he's not even. They, they just give him some Advil. Uh, but like you see the close-ups of him getting the you know when when the bus scene he's like he, the, you know it's like it looked like that he was really preparing to yeah, yeah. you know but the, it, they go a little too quick to make it noticeable but I thought that was nice you see him like in the black yeah, you know yeah. in the darkness and then you know and then he takes the shot it's a great headshot of her dying Shaka uh, courtesy of Dick Smith um, and then let's see then we talked about the it goes in the post production they have all these different cuts of it and we're advocating you have to we have to have an uncut <laughs> director's cut of Nighthawks come out. 
I, I would buy it. Yeah, I think it, I think we really need to. It'd be amazing, and uh, I really think this this film one day hopefully will have. I mean, it seems like it's it's got an audience. I mean, enough that the Shelf, Blu-ray came that out. Shelf Factory put out a collector's edition Blu-ray two weeks ago, uh, two years ago. I mean, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, it's like two weeks ago. So. Uh, Great movie, right? I mean, is there anything else that we, that that you could think of I that we didn't? So. I feel like when we leave, we're going to think of other jokes you and I had from twenty years ago yeah. about Nighthawks. Well, that's just like you said. This is a movie <coughs> goes way a lot back. of history for us. Yeah, I, it's a shame we never took a picture because back in the day we used to dress like that. I mean, I had <laughs> I had I had. There's got to be pictures somewhere, but not of us in in you know in that outfit, you know. But you had the leather jacket, you had the hat, you looked like Stallone from Rocky era. You were sporting the beard. Blake has a mustache and beard. I used to wear like the beanie. Yeah, uh, like winter cap, like knit cap with the black. And I remember walking through, through the film building and when we used, were in college. Yeah, and there was uh, there was a guy who started out in our class, but they only took a couple classes with us, and then he went to the next class. His name was Giles. Yeah, oh yeah, Giles. I'm friends with him. And he used to call me Serpico. Serpico. <laughs> you 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 narc, you cop, you cop. <laughs> because I because I had the beard. And uh, yeah, and I had the leathers on. Uh, and then also, it's funny because they have on the the special features of the Blu-ray, they have the trailer, which is awesome, and then they have the radio spots, and that's another lost art. You don't do they don't do radio spots for movies anymore. I don't listen to radio, so I don't, that's maybe yeah. maybe they do. I, I <laughs> listen to radio, not like that. And, I mean, they do. I'll take that back. They I have heard one or two. But not like this. Like, this was an industry where it's like people were listening and then they were doing commercials. And this is because it's funny because yeah, yeah. if you listen to the three different s- distinct radio spots, they're like, you know, it's how they're marketing it. He's a terrorist and he's going to get away. Yeah, but yeah. Sly's got him. You know, so it's it, it's another dying industry radio. But so anyway, Nighthawks. Great, Night great movie. Hope you've seen it. If you haven't seen it, we just check it out. We, we spoiled the, the crap out of it for you. Uh, and we hope they do a sequel one day because, um, you know, you could maybe have Billy D and. Sly come back and they're retired and they got to come out of retirement because there's a weather underground. Look, look, we're writing it right now, Blake. But unfortunately, we have some bad news. Well, we have news. <laughs> so we're, we're going to segue now. We're, we're, we're closing. It we're, we're, might we're, be perceived as bad news to some. I'd like to think some people would think this would be bad news because that would mean they like the show. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's not as bad as that. But we're, uh, we're, we're, we're starting 2019 off. Oh, 20, 2019. We're doing 2020 off. This was the first movie of 2020. Uh, and Blake and I have been talking, you know, we're getting really busy with life. We're Stuff's both going trying on. To finish some books. Yeah, we both got books with deadlines that hopefully will be out at the end of the year that we can promote and stuff like that. But that's consuming a lot of our life and all that. And then we have our day jobs. Blake, you know, is an editor in reality TV. I work in television news. As everyone knows, it's going to be very busy years for both of us behind the scenes doing technical stuff. So we're thinking right now we're going to scale the podcast back to once a month just because you know it takes so much work for us to get these things out and you know i don't know if if it shows but there's an extensive prep for the show like we're reading novelizations we're watching movies we're watching entire tv series then we (laughs) then there's a lot of post-production editing that goes into it and stuff like that and we want to keep delivering quality but at the same time it's just it's 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 so much time is being consumed but then we have our real lives with families and stuff like that we have to do so to keep the quality control up to a certain bar, we're thinking that we're, for the for for the foreseeable future. But also, just there's a part of just like to hopefully not get burned out. Yeah, and we're, we're that's the problem you is know, that because the, the the other option is we just stop doing it all together. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and <laughs> or we take a break for a while. So this is we're cutting back so that we don't have to take a break. Yeah, we, I think it. The problem is it did 2019 burned us out. 
There was a lot of you know a lot of big prepped episodes. Yeah, and and in the past years we've done that. And the show just keeps getting longer and longer. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's and it's also hard, and uh, you know, and we're we're uh, we're doing other, you know, we're we're thinking of maybe not taking on sponsors also in the future too, just to scale it back so that we don't have any, you know, we 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 feel a responsibility to you, the listener in the audience, and that's why we're talking about it this. Um, and we're, we waited to the end of the cast to tell you the bad news, so we didn't want to ruin the podcast for you, the episode. And uh, we also realized that we have tons of people that we talk to that really like the show, and also not only do they like like look at Moose. Moose sent us Christmas presents via Santa Claus, you know, amazing presents. And we have people that contact us all the time that we've become friends with because of the show that talk about how much they. The show helps them get through bad times and, and this or that. Or just or, the day-to-day of commute. Yeah. Or you know, sitting in the office. So we do, more than anybody, we feel like we do have a responsibility to you, the listener and the audience, to, to, to deliver something you like. And, you know, and we wouldn't want to stop doing it because so many people like it, enjoy it, and we enjoy it. And it gives us an excuse to hang out, Blake and I. So well, We just need a little more time. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's just hard because at the end of the day, um, you know, to be full disclosure, we're not making any money off the show. We don't have a Patreon. I mean, maybe we could start that up, and but we don't want to start having telethons for asking people for money, which maybe we could, but it's just hard because we're doing it on our own dime, and, you know, even with the sponsorships, we weren't making very much money. And yeah, I mean, it's not paying for itself. Yeah, so it was <laughs> I mean, just... We're not even making... We're not even covering our own yeah, and it, overhead. And five or six years on, it's just hard to keep it going, you know, and it's just we're going and we're going, and then it's also, you know, we're, we're trying to channel that juice and do other things creatively that maybe could get us career minded to a better position where we're able to do this more full time so we're not stopping the show we're just going to go to one month we're thinking of what the third Friday in, in every month I think we're thinking about the third Friday of every month we're going to yeah. drop so it whatever this Friday is this is the, this is technically the second or third it's technically the third Friday in January but it's like the second week of January this yeah, yeah. but we're thinking of doing the third week so which means it cuts our output in half and who knows? We could go back to, to, to you know to two. I, I don't. You know? I don't. I don't think the decision to go once a month is is a final one. Yeah. It's just we need some time right now, especially re- this year, to regroup and yeah, and finish all get, the stuff we have to do. Get the books out the to the publishers and do all the other stuff that goes along with that. And it's hard too because we don't want to shortchange movies. We do. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we you know we we don't want to do something. <laughs> I told yeah, we've we've set the bar pretty high with the amount of research. And yeah, and, and that's our own fault. <laughs> it's you know, to cut back now, it's it's hard. It's hard to do a movie if we do like an Indiana Jones again, and then we don't. You know, it's almost like we're doing that topic a disservice because we don't cover it as extensively. Well, if you're able to top cover Remo Re- Williams that good, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Speaking of Remo Williams, the DP said he did second he, unit, second unit for uh, Remo camera work up on the on the, the Statue of Liberty with the Remo. scaffolding in '86 when they redid the. I remember the scaffolding was all up in him. But anyway, uh, he said he touched the face. But he, but so it's just hard, and we want to keep everything up. We want to keep everybody happy so, and keep for delivering the f- for the foreseeable future at some. Yeah, point. It'll probably cha- it will likely change back at yeah. some point. As well but, as maybe we'll put out a couple specials, or yeah, you, you know, know, maybe we if we time, yeah, we may, maybe we may put a you know two out a month or whatever if we have the time or if if we have a break in our schedules. But just right now, it's just 
we got a lot going on, you know, and, and uh, we got deadlines and, and we're behind and Christmas just passed and we realized all that time we took off didn't mean anything, you know, <laughs> you know, so. Basically, I haven't left the house yeah. since we did <laughs> Batman Return because yeah, I've I been know. working on the book. And all I did was I took some time off. I argued with the wife. I took some more time off. I argued with the wife some more. So it's just, you know, it's just a bunch of staycations and stuff. So we want to really, we want to keep it going. We love the show. Uh, and, and like we said, it's just hard because it's not financially helping us so we're it's a laboral love and we realize that there's so many great uh appreciative people out there who who reach out and talk to us every day about how they love the show and they can't wait we had people messaging messaging us when is this new episode coming out because we took the two week usually at the beginning of the year we take a two week reset and that's why this is coming out the second week of january technically so we don't want to disappoint anybody um you know feel free to contact us give us you know if if and maybe there's opinions or, or people want to talk to us about it or start a, a writing campaign. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're going to keep going. We're just right now, you know, so we're going to have one come out next month. Yeah, February. Kung yeah. Fu February. And, and, and listen, we don't have any, and we don't think this is bad news. We're right now, uh, uh, being completely honest, it's not like we're going to be telling you in, in, in a month we're going to be canceling, you know. So just for the foreseeable, so don't don't worry. We're going, but we got Kung Fu February next month. We've already got an idea lined up for Kung Fu February. Going way down the alley. And then we're going to have one, you know. So, as always, like we say, you have any recommendations of what you want us to do, throw them at us. You know, you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, wherever you're listening right now, Player FM. We're on Spotify. Uh, Spotify now. now um and you want to help us too? get the word out, you know, retweet our stuff, get your friends to like us. You know, if we can get up that, um, the, 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 the social media responses and build a little there, we can use that as to promote ourselves. So you can always still find us on clnsmedia.com. Uh, we have, uh, the good people there and we like to thank Skillshare, our sponsor this week too. Um, so Find us, like us, send us emails. We have SaturdayNightMovieSleepovers.com where you can find out more about our stuff too. And uh, Blake, you have stuff you're doing as well. Scored to Death, uh, Conversations with Some of Horror's Greatest Composers. Unfortunately, that's available on Amazon. That's my book. It's available on Amazon. Other book retailers are for me directly at ScoredToDeath.com. Unfortunately, Cuts from the Crypt is over. That ended. Uh, my last episode was uh, just was my December episode. So unfortunately, Damn Fine Network has uh, come to a close. Same it's, kind of thing with, where they were just yeah they want to move on to other things. Yeah, and, uh, it was just too much work. Um, and so, uh, but past episodes of Customer Crypt will be available for the foreseeable future at Damn Fine Network uh, as an archived show. And, uh, so check hope, that out, definitely, right? And then hope, yeah, definitely. You got, you got, what, you got a whole, there's a whole season 12 there's episodes a whole, or 24? There's, thir- there's 13 episodes that I hosted of Cuts for the Crypt over there. and uh, That's a that's a special features DVD. And at some <laughs> point, you know, after the book gets handed in and I find some more time to to, to myself, I, I plan to get back to probably not doing Scored to Death the podcast on a regular basis because, again, time 
it's a bit of a problem, but uh, I would like to at least on occasion put out new interviews for Scored to Death the podcast. Sure, so that's, that's good. You know that that'll come back at some point in some form. Yeah, and, and you do you do your occasional writing stuff for other stuff, and you know your guest spots and all that. So if you if you Google Blake, you can I just, find. Uh, I have an article in the most recent episode of when this episode drops in the most recent issue of Scream Magazine from the UK. Good that I wrote a big massive article about House of the Devil, and this is uh, January twenty twenty. This episode, so, so this it's is... like the January February issue of of Scream Magazine UK. So check that out. Check that out for all of our UK listeners. That's also it gets distributed here. It's just the magazines from the UK. Sure, uh, and I got Blood in the Streets. If you like Nighthawks, <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> you like Nighthawks. If you, you like Nighthawks, love... you will love Blood in the Streets. The book you can find that on Amazon. You can find that wherever you get your books. It's on. Uh, paperback it's ebook and it's audiobook you know if you like this kind of a movie this is that's what blood in the streets is it takes place in 1976 it's a it's a cop movie in book form that i plan to one day make into a movie uh, anybody listening who wants to uh, help me make that happen <laughs> let me know send me an email because that's the plan i'm writing another one now not a sequel to blood in the streets uh, it's another it's a private detective uh, 40s uh, private eye um, very fun, but you know that'll be coming out hopefully by the end of the year. Uh, exciting and new, uh, and uh, yeah, check us out. We're all we're all on social media. You can find us, and uh, we'll see you next month with an all new episode. And we're going to be you know giving it our all. And I think what we've we've been talking about, I think it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be something new on the podcast. Somebody we've never covered before. Little hint. Although, I, you know, we got to watch out, though, because we have those guys out there who <laughs> we, we, we just say that and they're going to know what person. who we, they'll, 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 yeah, they'll of elimination. By their graph, they'll know who we, and then they'll know the movie, too. I'm like, Jesus. So next month, Kung Fu February. It's going to be very exciting. Remember last last year we did Kung Fu Mountain Climbing February. <laughs> He's like, Kung Fu Mountain Climbing February. With yeah. Stallone. With Stallone, yeah. With Stallone and Eastwood there. Yeah, Stallone with, uh, and we Cliffhanger. And good old Cliffhanger. Next, we're not doing Mountain Climbing this year. But that we can say. Yeah, we could say that definitively, but we're going to do... And we might even be having to be a little Kung fu we'll in the Kung fu February. We'll, we'll see. No see. promises at the end. You're getting, you're getting a little too much. <laughs> you're too much. A little too much info. All right, so uh, take care. We'll see you soon. Later.